does have it all. All of our pre-owned vehicles are Hubler Q certified, which include a 128-point vehicle inspection, a free Carfax vehicle history report, and two warranties. A two-year, 100,000-mile powertrain warranty and a 30-day, 1,000-mile comprehensive warranty. Visit any of our 13 locations today or click drivehubler.com. I would like for you, Jimmy Cook, upon this noon on a Friday, to look out the window. When I did the morning show with Kevin Bowen, he would do this a lot. For those that are unfamiliar, and good Friday to you, my name is Jake Quarry, Jimmy Cook here as well, Eddie Garrison, the CEO of the company, running things for us. Uh, He got done last night watching uh, two documentaries on the doors, right, Eddie? That is right. Correct, yes. Did you decide what your favorite song is? I said, screw the Pacers game. That's right. Screwed producing it. Made Mark Boyle produce it from uh, Miami last night. Watched some Doors documentaries. Heck yeah. That's what I did, yeah. Yeah. Well, it probably was a better, more enjoyable experience, right? Tell you what, the Doors have better defense of preventing things from going by them than the Pacers last night. That is a bugaboo for the Pacers. And what I was going to say is if you look out, Jimmy, when Kevin Bowen and I would do the show in the morning – we are right here on Monument Circle. As a matter of fact, we are technically on the southwest spoke, if you will, of Monument Circle. Seven o'clock on the dial of Monument Circle, right? You are sitting on the far western side of the studio. I am more on the eastern end. So you can see directly across, typically, your vantage point is unimpeded towards seeing the Riley Towers. Now, if you look out right now, can you see them? Yes. Okay. But probably very hazy, right? Yep. So, the sky right now is symbolic of several different things that we'll talk about today. For example, trying to figure out the Pacers. It is not all clear blue skies, right? It's still clear enough that you can see Riley Towers, but it's a little hazy. Like, what are we doing? You have a another fabulous performance from Tyrese Halliburton. Wasted. And yet, yeah, they can't they can't hit free throws down the stretch. And what is curious to me about the Pacers defensively is twofold. Number one, you know, they they seemingly Bruce Brown was was brought in to bolster their defense. And I'm not saying he's not a good defender, he is. He's a, but unfortunately, he's a little undersized at times of who they're asking him to guard. But and I think Andrew Nimhard and Aaron Neesmith are good wing defenders, but maybe they, they just don't lack the – they have the tenacity and the drive to be a good defender. Maybe they don't have, pardon the NBA draft night buzzword term, the length Ooh, to be good buzzword. wing defenders. But seemingly the plan is very simple against the Pacers, and that is if we can come down, we being – insert name of team and set up our offense at the top of the key and get the ball to either of the two wings then it's a turnstile you've made it past the first line of defense and there you go right you ever play chess not really i've I've played before but yeah for the sake of the show can you say you've played chess i i always play in the park every saturday thank you washington square park yes yep so when you play chess there's that one piece that can only move diagonally correct right and if that piece is like eliminated, then you're like, oh man, I got a clear shot right down the lane the here to get right. See, you've played chess, yeah. Right, yeah. So it's like the Pacers have no bishop 
They got nobody that can guard that diagonal entry into the low post where the king and queen are hanging out, right? And the thought was coming into the year that, well, maybe they'll just outscore everybody. Well, on that side of the coin, averaging nearly 128 points a game, that would be an NBA record if the season ended today. The other side of that coin, when it was supposed to be a better defensive year, and I'm not even talking about the 45 they gave up in the fourth last night. Look, look, I get it. Epic quarters get scored in the NBA all the time. But for it to happen in the fourth when you're up three going into the final frame, that's brutal. But that's not even what I'm talking about. You give up nearly 126 defensively a night this year. It's the worst in the league. And only two teams finished a season allowing more points per game. We're 17 games in, and it's hard to say that this team is better defensively, especially in a lot of the categories that matter, than they were a year ago. So two things here. Last night, Miami missed three shots in the fourth quarter. They were 15 of 18. Unreal. Second part of this, I asked this to Tony East on Lockdown Pacers. He had me on his podcast earlier this week. Nice. Subscribe to that. (laughs) I asked him, at what point do they have to realize they cannot play at the pace they play at and have any sort of average or competent defense just because the way they play in shooting so many threes allows for easy long rebounds, allows teams to just run up the court in easy transition, get so many points in the paint like they are accustomed to doing Pacers first in terms of points given up in the paint allowed per game and slowing it down just a little bit so their offense can get into a half-court set and then it maybe it results in their defense having the ability to get into defensive sets instead of allowing teams just to be able to rush it right back up the court. I mean, that's the thing is they – they do play at a frantic pace, right? And, you know, they – that's the challenge, Eddie, is Indiana's offense right now in terms of its strength is playing at that pace and not – and clearly, to your point, it, it, to simply – like to – it sounds weird to say it, but if you can't defend at that same pace, then you can't play it. I mean, quite frankly, because they're, they're getting – they're getting beaten at their own game. And it doesn't even need to be necessarily fully that pace all the time. If the defense could just meet them halfway, they would probably be better off than where they are this year. And it's a shame because you can't complain a ton outside of the style, which I agree with Eddie. Like That's not necessarily a waypoint for great defense. But you look at every statistical category offensively in the league, and they're top five in almost all of them leading outright in some of them, leading the league in field goal percentage, leading the league in points per game, leading the league in assists per game. It's why they're such a fun brand of basketball offensively to watch. It's just the defense needs to meet them halfway at some point. I don't even mean if they're going to be like a competitive team in the playoffs they get there. I mean to actually get there. They're going to need to meet them halfway. And there's still time to clean it up. They're like sixth or seventh in the East right now, and it's very crowded. There's a lot of teams that are a game, a half game back well, of one another. it's really early, right? It's super it's really early, early in the season, but it's just it's it's concerning when you start to get into these divide the season into fourths or fifths or thirds, however you want to do it, and you get 17 games in, and you start to look how much better can they really get, or is this what they're going to be? The other thing that to me is curious, what was the – Coming into the season, what was the hope that the Pacers would be more of than they were a year ago? Outside of the obvious of being just a better brand of defensive basketball? Well, that's it. The hope was that they were a better defensive team and that they had shored up their defense, right? 
Now, that doesn't happen overnight. I get it. Rome wasn't built in a day. I, I get it. But they made basically the two acquisitions that were thought to be the biggest impact for them in terms of their defense where they went out and got Bruce Brown because you had to have that mentality. You've got to have somebody that comes in and sets that tone and shows and leads by example, right? The other is they drafted Jarris Walker. And I know that Jarris Walker probably, as I've talked about, I mean, he's 20 years old. He's a young player. And we too often either anoint or dismiss players too early in their career. I get it. There have been great players in this franchise that didn't play for the first two years after they were drafted. Antonio Davis did not, you know, he, he was a guy that they stashed in Europe and he came back and it's like, wow, this guy can really play. Well, they knew he could play, but in today's era, it would have been, why is this guy not playing, even though he's a second rounder? Why, why was he not, why is he not playing? What a bust. I've told the story 10,000 times, which I'll make 10,001, of when Jeff Foster was a rookie for the Pacers and they were playing in the first round of the playoffs in Milwaukee and I was covering it and I went, I was late and I went into this like chili diner in downtown Milwaukee at like midnight to get something to eat and there sits Jeff Foster. And I go, do you guys not have like a like a curfew time or anything? And he goes, yeah, let's be honest, are they really going to notice if I'm not here? And he did. He wasn't. I mean, he was literally getting a grilled cheese sandwich. But the point being, he wasn't even on the active roster as a rookie, and he turned out to be a fabulous player for the for the franchise for a decade. They just didn't need. You know, they they brought him along slowly. Austin Crozier, another. So we can't. There is precedent that we can't totally push the panic button on Jarris Walker. But if he was brought in here and drafted because they needed to increase their defensive intensity and defensive intensity is totally what they're lacking, then it makes you wonder why he hasn't been on the floor yet. I mean, he has, but very sparingly, very sparingly. The problem that I have, Jake, is you mentioned it. Bruce Brown was brought in to be a better defensive player, but it's his first year here in Indiana with the Pacers. How does he have a voice within the locker room for players to gain the respect from him to build up that side of the court because your best player and Tyrese Halliburton is your worst defender out of your starting right. five. Well, I mean, I the ring the, should help in the, the respect. Ring. That's it. That's department. exactly right. You just lay it down like, hey, that's exactly this is what, correct. This is what I won last that's year. That's exactly like, correct. You come in and you show the ring. Okay. But I'm not you're totally paying, diminishing your point, Eddie, but like, that should help. I'm, you're paying Halliburton $255 sure. million dollars and sure. he's the guy who's tired of losing and wants to be a better defensive team but Tyrese is one of the worst defenders on the team like the, the other thing that's killed them Jake the last three games and it goes to Eddie's earlier point about long three-pointers that have led to runouts that have made things more difficult defensively when you look at the Pacers on the season they're top five in three-point shooting around 38 39 percent a game that's really really good it's top five in the league last three games where a lot of these struggles have been they're right down there near the bottom, 27th in the league at 30%. That's worse than Dallas, Cleveland, and Memphis. Like, if you're going to hit the shots, it works. But if you're going to have these dry spells like they had the last three, it makes it very hard to play the style they want to play. Like, Buddy went 2 of 11 last night. That's just one example of another. They've shot 23%, I think, 
from beyond the arc. You have to hit if you're going to play this way, and you're going to take that many threes a game. Here is Tyrese Halliburton with some interesting comments last night after Miami's 142-132 win over the Pacers. Yeah, I mean, I just want to get to the playoffs. I'm not going to lie. Like, I, that, like, all the individual stuff is cool, and I've accomplished a lot individually already. been an all-star, which is the main goal in my, you know, when I came to the NBA. Um, obviously, there's more for me to achieve individually, uh, but, I mean, individual success is nothing at this point. I just want to win. Like, I'm tired of being a loser. So, um, you know, I got to do a better job of, you know, finding ways to win. Like, obviously, I had a decent game tonight, but, you know, I got to be better for us to win games, and that's just plain and simple. That's Tyrese Halliburton saying, look, I need some help. And the good news is, for Indiana, he's under contract, right? He's under contract long-term. I mean, as Eddie just mentioned, he's about to make a ton of money. But 44 points, 10 assists. What he is saying there is, without even realizing he's saying it, here's what Tyrese Halliburton is saying. We, we should use the, <laughs> the, the interpreter. Right? Oh, we have, yes. We, have we haven't used it in a while. We need to use it. While we try to boot that up to your to the overall point of this about Tyrese not caring about individual stats, like if you're worried about that, because I see it and I get it, Twitter's a cesspool, I understand, but I've seen it the last couple of posts the Pacers have made that have been pumping up Tyrese because he's been on an incredible run and as a 23-year-old, it would be very easy to get lost in your individual success, especially when, for November, per ESPN Stats and Info, and Adrian Wojnarowski tweeted this out last night, 28 points, 11 assists, 53% from the field, 47, 47% from beyond the arc in November. Only MJ in 89 and LeBron in 17 and 18 ever averaged those numbers in a single month. Like He is having, on the offensive side of the ball, an MVP caliber season, and it's not good enough for him. And I like that. I don't care if it I don't I don't believe he's just saying that, but even if he was just saying that, to publicly acknowledge it and say, look, I don't care. Like even at twenty three, having this individual success, team is first for me. I want to win. Like I, I appreciate him publicly making that clear of where his mindset is right now. That's why they paid him. That's why they view him as the franchise player. But I, I appreciate that. Now, do we have the Elixir, right, right, which is the translator, and I bought for a limited time, but I think actually it automatically renewed on my credit card. It was one of those deals, right? I didn't Black Friday, that. probably. Yeah, I bought like the, the, the nine-month subscription, yeah. and then it was like, we'll bill you after that, and I looked at my card, and I'm like, oh, okay. So here's what we do is we, we play a soundbite from an athlete, right? And then once we play it, we run it through the Elixir translator, and then it tells us, it tells us what actually the athlete means or the coach, okay? So we have – go ahead and play that soundbite if you could, Eddie. The, the soundbite from Halliburton is what we need first. Oh, I thought we already no, played we it. We, we, no, we, we got to hear okay. from Halliburton, then we run it through the Elixir. So we play the soundbite yeah. first. We haven't used it in a little bit. We're just yeah, clean the right. dust off it. So it, we, it does still work. That's good. So play Tyrese Halliburton first. Yeah, I mean, I just want to get to the playoffs. I'm not gonna lie. Like, I, that, like all the individual stuff is cool, and I've accomplished a lot individually already. Been an All Star, which is the main goal in my, you know, when I came to the NBA. Um, obviously, there's more for me to achieve individually, uh, but I mean, individual success is nothing at this point. I just want to win. Like, I'm tired of being a loser. So. Um, you know, I got to do a better job of, you know, finding ways to win. Like, obviously, I had a decent game tonight, but, you know, I got to be better for us to win games, and that's just plain and simple. Okay, now, run that through the elixir. Here we go. I mean, what am I supposed to say? I just dropped 44 with 10 dimes, and that wasn't enough? Little help here. Yeah, that's pretty much what he means, right? 
The elixir seems to still work, Jimmy. Right? Hey, that means the credit card is still flowing for you. That's good. <laughs> That's right. An extra 99 cents a month. <laughs> That's what it means, right? Yeah. I mean, what he is saying is, I, what more do you want me to say? I'm tired of losing games. I guess I got to do more. I got to do more than score 44 and with 10 assists. But what that more is that he needs to do, even though I realize that's his own subconscious of saying, I need better help around me, what he is also saying is, I got to start defending people. I got to make it difficult yeah. for people to hit shots down the stretch because teams are able to score too easily. Period. Shot selection in the second half, I thought was mind numbingly uh, frustrating because the Pacers shot four of 27 from three in the second half, 15%. And they struggled at the line, 53%. If you're not going to take the easy points at the free throw line and you're going to continue to jack up threes like yep. that, when you're yep. barely making any, you've got to change something offensively. But here's the thing. You got to get, last night they were calling fouls. The officiating in Miami was very foul happy. You got to get down, you got to get towards the basket and you got to attack. But I don't blame a team for, here's the thing. It's the NBA. A team taking a lot of threes, if they're open looks, I don't blame them for taking them. More often than not, I mean, you're going to have off nights. I get that. It's if you're taking bad contested or rush shots that it's a problem. But there are not, you know, Buddy Heald is, is a very, very good shooter. But he's going to have off nights like anybody else, right? That just goes with it. We'll continue talking about it over the course of the day today. Kevin Bowen going to join us on the program. We're also going to do our two-minute drill because college football playoff time is going to be upon us after conference championship weekend. So we're going to actually, we've got people lined up that we're hoping to talk to today from... We're going to talk a little Texas. We'll talk Alabama, Georgia. We'll talk. But, but here's the thing. I get that you folks are like, Jake, it, it, it's a sports talk show in Indianapolis. I don't need a segment on Alabama. I don't need a segment on Texas. I don't need a segment on Michigan or Iowa or Florida State or Louisville. Exactly. That's why we do it in the two-minute drill, right? We get you literally just – it's it's literally like going to the Super New China Buffet, right? Yep. Which I still don't know. Once they open the Super New China Buffet, when the competitor across the street wants to open, what do they call it then? We had we ha- you had the China Buffet, then you had the New China Buffet, and now it's the Super New China Buffet. Super so China what- Buffet too. Uh, super New China Buffet too, exactly. right? Yes. yes. I mean, it, there's nowhere else to go. Goes back to our Super Wild Card Weekend conversation. But you take a little of everything, right? We yep. get just a little sample. Of each team, we'll do that in the two-minute Additionally, drill. anytime there's a high-powered event that you can link it to, which is the Big Ten Championship game at Lucas Oil this weekend, like it, it deserves a little bit of airtime. Of course. Now, uh, Colts, of course, getting set to take on Tennessee this weekend. NFL last night, it was Seattle and Dallas. What did I tell you about those Seahawks uniforms? Oh, beautiful. I mean, I never doubted you, but beautiful. Did they cover? They did cover. What did I say? You said they were going to cover? I said they would have won by 10 if it was in Seattle. I didn't realize it was in Dallas. Then I saw it was in Dallas. I go, well, at the very least, they'll cover because they got the uniforms You on. probably weren't wrong. They put up, what, 35 against that Cowboys defense and did it kind of with ease? It was zero nice. punts. Love zero that. punts. Love that. What Colts playoff game featured yeah, zero I understand. punts? Yeah, 2003 Chiefs. Yeah. Jimmy would that remember that. Yeah. yeah, no punt game. A lot of tough losses to the Colts in my lifetime. That was, that was an unbelievable game. Though, Incredible game. Been. Incredible game. Yeah. Who was the quarterback for the Chiefs? Would have been Green. Was it? Yeah, Trent Green would have been Trent 0-3. Green, yep. That's right. Yep. Dante Hall. Trent Green was a good Priest player, Holmes. though. Yeah, he was. He was good. Priest Holmes, man, that guy was a beast for like forty-eight hours. I mean, he set the single-season touchdown record. No, he, I know. He, there was just got a concussion. There that's, was a, there was a wave. There were like three running backs that kind of went back to, that, that that all had like a three-year shelf life. Yep. Larry Johnson was one. Yes. Priest Holmes was one. Yep. Um, you know, for a while there, Arian Foster for the Texans was one. 
the guys that just like Terrell Davis for like a, a four year window in Denver was Sean one. Alexander and Priest Jones. Sean Alexander is one in that same area. I mean, those guys were just walking touchdown machines, yep. and then all of a sudden one day they literally fell off a cliff. But last night, you know, we don't talk about in the NFC. We talk so much and we favor so much about the Niners when they're healthy, rightly so. The the Eagles, obviously, for for good reason. The team that we really don't talk about is the Dallas Cowboys. And, I mean, they're pretty darn good. And Dak Prescott is playing at a pretty high level. And you wonder if Dallas can, in fact, kind of be the spoiler in the NFC where you're like, I, you know, Baltimore did this for years, Jimmy, where you talk – for you know, the years where Baltimore makes runs, where you just don't talk about them, and then they get in the playoffs, yeah. and they're just kind of you know they hang around, they're there. It's a great side by side comparison. Those two thousands to to twenty ten, early twenty ten Ravens teams that like five years in a row they talk about when are they going to take the step forward, and then the year you forget about them, they finally did it. The problem is Cowboys have never done it. Like they, they've never done it in my lifetime. They're always viewed as, especially in the Dak Prescott era, as this team that's right there with the Eagles and the 49ers and whoever else is near the top of the NFC, and they, they always get left behind. They always wind up in a playoff game against San Francisco or wind up in a playoff game against Philadelphia, and it's usually on the road, and they fall apart late, and that's the end of it, and Dak Prescott's left wondering what he's doing in Dallas year after year. So if we're looking at them and asking, does last night change anything for me? Do I think we should not talk about them more by any means. America's team does not need more coverage, but do they deserve more outlook in the playoff picture? It's still a two-horse race for me without being fully disrespectful to the Lions. I think they end their playoff drought Detroit does this year. I don't think they like go to the bowl, but it's Philadelphia and San Francisco and a bunch of also-ran teams in the NFC for you me. You know, in 1991, they... Two things I remember most about 1991. Number one, there was a brontosaurus in the backyard one day, which was weird. And number two, I was a freshman in college at the University of Kansas. I was coming home for winter break. And I. this shows you, by the way, how like the schedule, the calendars were different in the NFL. I, I want to say that I was coming home for winter break, but it must have been that I was going back to school. It must have been that it was right after the holiday, so I was going back to school. But either way, I remember boarding an airplane, literally like getting on an airplane to fly to Kansas City or from Kansas City to here for school right as the ball was in the air for the NFC Championship game between the Detroit Lions and the Washington Redskins. And... I got off the plane and it was like 28 to nothing or I don't remember what the final score was but it was a blowout win. 41-10. I googled it. <laughs> and so the game was over. Yeah. When I got off the plane, so I so I saw none of it. Little did I know. Little did I know that that was the last chance that I would have until possibly this year to see Detroit in an NFC championship game and little did I know even more so if I'm not mistaken that that means the week before was the last time the Detroit Lions won a postseason game for a long time you're correct for a long time it was a graphic on NBC or wherever the wild card games were growing up and it was Kansas City it was Cincinnati it was Detroit and it was teams the longest drought without a playoff win 
those other teams have gotten it done, it's Detroit's time well, this year. And you realize until Cincinnati snapped the streak that under Joe Burrow, that the last time that they had won a playoff game would have been the week before Bo Jackson's career-ending injury because they were playing the Raiders in the playoffs. Cincinnati had won to fit to host the Raiders. I, I think it was in Cincinnati. might have been in, o- in Oakland but um, or L.A., when Bo Jackson was tackled in, in that game, separated his, his hip, and that ended his football career. Yeah. There you go. And to take it full circle, Bo Jackson had his finest moment in Monday Night Football against the Seahawks in those uniforms, which last night kept them within 10. But it could not keep them from watching Bo Jackson go what? sailing down the sidelines uh, in one of the great plays in Monday Night Football history. But back to the Colts, taking on the Titans. That game on Sunday – And we now know a little bit more also about the Colts matchup that could be a big one with the Pittsburgh Steelers that might have major playoff implications. That news came out yesterday. We'll rehash for you the update on that game and what exactly I'm talking about. We'll do it next. It's Quarry Company here, 93.5-1075, The Fan. This is Quarry Company on 93.5 and 107.5, The Fan. Eddie, is this your favorite song from The Doors? Oh, yes, totally. Mm Mm-hmm figured actually jimmy you're the one that got journey confused with aerosmith right yep that's fairly understandable actually i'll give you a pass there appreciate it you also give me a pass that i corrected it within half a second and realized what i did i can (laughs) logically explain why my brain misfired but it's fine it's all right eddie i'd like to to make a request okay can we play doors re-entries exclusively until two o'clock why is that? Just to educate you a little bit on the doors. And I'm not some huge fan of the doors by any stretch, but you know what I mean? I think there's a lot of people probably that would tell you, I don't know this, but I suspect it, okay? Like, you know when Nickelback was was popular and now Nickelback's kind of like people that were around when Nickelback was popular kind of roll their eyes and they're like, yeah, I hate to admit I was kind of into that Nickelback thing for a little bit there. I'd like to, you know, or Creed is another one that I think falls into that category. The soul yodelers. I get the feeling that there are probably a lot of people that are like 70 years old that when you mention the doors are like, guys, they were not like this cool, like awesome breakthrough poetic band. They were cheesy as hell. I, I, my guess is that's what people would say. Like they probably were not as massively popular as one is led to believe they were around that time. Like Jim Morrison, probably there were probably a lot of people that rolled their eyes at him. Like, yeah, whatever, dude. Just, just a hunch. Um, well, Nickelback became a meme, so I mean, you know, take that for you. Will. That's what I mean. Like, I think Jim Morrison would have been a meme think if he so? was. Yeah. Well, I mean, if he was, I'm saying if he was sure, like right. 27 years old Correct. today, right? Sure. Yeah. Um, Colts and Titans on Sunday. This is a, an interesting one because Jimmy, it, it feels more and more when you look at it like a game that Indianapolis should pretty easily control, which makes you even more convinced that it's a game they will not. Because it's the games that they seemingly are destined to struggle where they kind of hang around. But, you know, you're going against also a young quarterback. I mean, the Colts don't have a young quarterback, but we thought they were going to at this point. I think Will Levis at times is, you know, certainly he came out of the gate looking fabulous, and Waters found its level a little bit because people kind of figured out what they're going up against. Um, I'll give him credit, though. He's taken care of the football the last couple of yeah. weeks. Like I expected there to be a ton of interceptions from him. He's only thrown two, and I think the last one was on that 
game against Pittsburgh with a Thursday night game a couple weeks ago. So I'll, I'll give him credit. Like he's taking care of the football. By the way, you gave me a Ricola in the break, I think. Mm-hmm. I feel like yodeling suddenly. All of a sudden, I feel like I'm playing cliff, cliffhanger on. Price I feel like they'd be very proud of you for that type of reaction. What if, if I Ricola? Isn't that go. what the guy yells? Yep. Okay. But this isn't the this is the cherry flavored Ricola, right? Uh. Uh-uh. This is the fruity Ricola. If well, lemon, yeah. Lemon. Okay. Well, it has a fruit flavor to it. Mm-hmm. I, I'm gonna. I, I may just spontaneously yodel throughout the course of the show today. You just never know what it might. I'm hit, here right? for it. Um, the Titans have a luxury that a lot of teams don't have, and I don't even know at this point that you would say the Colts have this to this level. They have DeAndre Hopkins, who is an elite-level receiver, but you've got to be able to get him the football. And, you know, I don't know that he has necessarily – you know, at this point he's easier to hone in on than he would have been at different points in his career, although it's not like he was surrounded by talent in Houston. Definitely wasn't in Arizona. Definitely wasn't in Arizona, right? But He's a different player, right? He can still make impact plays, but he's not correct. the same – but you've got to be able – he's the kind of guy that, you know, for him to really have his impact, you got first off, you got to be able to protect the quarterback to get him time to get open yep. or to get downfield. But Tennessee has an advantage in this area, and it's something that's carried them a lot over the last few years. And that is that Derrick Henry is a game-changing back in this aspect. If you get a lead – and you're able to hold on to that into the second half, Derrick Henry can salt clock like nobody's business. Now, does he have the breakaway speed of he was between the tackles and now all of a sudden it's a 90-yard run? He probably doesn't have that anymore. But he does still have the ability between the tackles to just simply chunk yardage, four yards, four yards, you know, move the clock, move the clock. And that's the one thing that kind of can worry you about playing the Titans, Jimmy, is the fact that if they do have a lead late into the game, it's hard for you to get in rhythm. And I do think that at times Gardner Minshew is a rhythm quarterback, and if he's not able to get the ball with consistency, that rhythm goes away, and now all of a sudden you're chasing it a little bit. I don't think any of that – I mean, I do think that the Colts should be able to go down there and get a win – but there are a couple of curveballs with Tennessee that make it the potential to be a challenge. There are two things that scare me about Tennessee going into this matchup, and you've outlined both of them. But just from my perspective on it and looking at what the Titans have done the last couple of games, first one is, yeah, if without Juju Brents, which it's training like he's not going to play, he was a, did not participate the first two days on the practice report, we will see what today holds, but... I don't expect him to go this weekend. So you're still relying on this cornerback room who, again, has played better the last couple of weeks. The competition has been what the competition has been. It's not a massive upgrade this week either against Tennessee, but make sure that DeAndre Hopkins is accounted for every play. That's step one. Included with that, as you mentioned, getting to the quarterback and making Will Levis' life difficult. Step two, though, is this might be the game, and I hope I'm wrong on this, and maybe it's our conversation with Eddie before the break that's made me feel this way now more so than I did before. This might be the game where you look back at it if it's a Colts loss and say, this was the game Grover Stewart's absence hurt us. Because Derrick Henry, his last four games, 
75 yards, 24 yards, 38 yards, 76 yards. Now, some of those games, game script impacts, and I get it, but been under 100 yards for a month. And with how the Colts have sometimes struggled against the run defensively, this might be the game where it's a bounce back resurgence game for Derrick Henry. It looks like it is. I don't know why you grabbed it to start the day. I think it's, it's in the corner for a reason. Well, I, I've either got one chair that has the, this, <laughs> right, or the other one where the, the, the seat part of it is slanted at a 45-degree angle, and I feel like I'm tilting out of it. It's a pick-your-poison type of uh, league here in the company. Well, I'll report it to HR. Anyway, um, for... Yeah, good luck with that. <laughs> for that game plan, if I look back at a Colts loss and you ask me if that's what it is, and I look back at the box score and you ask me to predict one thing that would have led to it, it would be what you just said, Jake. A dominant performance by Derrick Henry. I'm talking a three-touchdown, 140 on the ground type of game where Titans dominate the time of possession. They're salting it away late. And Mike Vrabel does what Mike Vrabel does is make life difficult on opposing offenses. If you can limit Derrick Henry again, and the idea of you getting Grover Stewart back for the stretch run here, I, I really think it's going to map out, and they're going to go five and one to close the year. But this is the one where I'm a bit skittish in that regard because Derrick Henry has been so quiet the last month. The big thing is, as we've talked about, if you look at the Colts' schedule heading down the home stretch here, and by the way, their game against Pittsburgh we now know Saturday. December 16th, right? At the exact same time that Purdue and Arizona are tipping off at the Fieldhouse, correct? Yep. Big time day in Indy. IU Kansas before that at Assembly Hall, 1230. That's a big time day, baby. And Ball State, Indiana State. Come on now, Jimmy. Can't forget about the Cardinals and the Sycamores. And is that taking place in Terre Haute or Muncie? That is taking place in downtown Indianapolis before Purdue, Oh, there we go. Okay. Yeah, see, that's big. And then uh, at 8 o'clock, Pacers are in Minnesota taking on the T-Wolves. Great day of sports. That is, man. If you could pick one of those to, to attend, which would it be? IU Kansas. Okay. Eddie? I would probably take Purdue-Arizona. It's going to be a big game. Arizona's really good. Kansas is really good. I mean, that's a that's a tall challenge for both those teams. Uh, but obviously, Purdue's really good. Yep. Indiana finding their way. You know, I talked to – by the way, speaking of Indiana, real quick – um, Xavier Johnson, I was told yesterday, could miss up to four games. Probably not the totality of four, but there is the likelihood he could miss a few games because his foot is still in a boot after uh, basically, I- I'm assuming, high ankle sprain. I don't know the extent of the injury, but That's I think Indiana's going to have to adjust for a few games without Xavier Johnson. At least one. Maybe two up to four. I don't think it'll be four, but that's kind of the ceiling of what they would expect. But he does have his foot uh, in a walking boot right now. But Kansas has massive uh, length and speed on the wings. You know, so too does Arizona. Arizona's got good size. Um, the other thing that you know, McKenzie and Baco starting to find a shot a little bit for Indiana. I think grasping and just fully understanding the offense right now is the thing holding back the talented freshman for Indiana. Additionally, one quick note on that. I know we'll have time in 15 days to talk about it, but another reason I'm excited for it is the matchup in January and in February is going to be Khalil Ware versus Zach Eady. I'm interested to see a sampling of that. I know they're not the same player, but Hunter Dickinson versus Khalil Ware. Yeah, it's a good matchup. I'm interested about that matchup. Well, and Khalil Ware is obviously very effective when he's not going against guys that are of his size, right? But when he does... 
that's where his game lowers down got, a little it's bit. Gotta so he's elevate, got right? he's yeah. got elevate, yeah. and that comes with motor. That just comes with overall yeah. uh, energy in general. Colts remaining schedule. If you look at it, they got the Titans coming up on Sunday. Okay, now we're gonna do our thing here, Jimmy. Where I'm just getting, and I don't. No analysis, no deep thought, whatever. Literally knee-jerk reaction, win or loss. I'm going to read it off to you, win or loss. You ready? At Titans. Win. At Bengals. Win. Steelers at home. That is now, by the way, as I just mentioned, a Saturday game, December 16th, 4.30 kick on the NFL Network. Steelers at home. Loss. Falcons at Atlanta. Win. Raiders at home. Win. Texans at home. Loss. 4-2. and two. That puts them that goes right against there. what I said about them going five and one. But yeah, I'd... no. But I mean, but that I think that still puts them in, doesn't it? Yeah, it, it'll be greater than a coin flip. We've got 75 percent chance, depending on how everything else plays out. The most perfect control your own destiny path for the Colts is five and one, and you're pretty much guaranteed to get it. But based on based on what you just what we just went over there, yeah, they would be what ten and seven. But that includes. For example, you know, a win over Pittsburgh, a win over Cincinnati, at the very least a split with the Texans, right? So you've got you've got several tie breakers or factors that come into your favor there. If you look at the and the Raiders too. The right. Raiders is another one that Correct. they would be dispatching. The only way that you get screwed over in terms of that path to the playoffs if they go, what did you say, ten and seven? Right? Is that what I outlined for them? If they go ten and seven, is if the other teams they have the tiebreakers for clear them at like five and six and it's Cleveland at seven and you're tied then it's going to go back to that Cleveland game right so like that's which the Browns are a mess offensive like who's to say they still hang around that's a lot to ask out of that that defense defense, though man they're great but it's a lot to ask out of them week over week over week Uh, hey Jake the doors were like a cheap lounge band Morrison was a derelict I'm telling you I think people like there was this push in the early 90s when Val Kilmer played Jim Morrison in the movie and like it became trendy, right? Like everybody had the American Poet poster on their wall, and it was like, oh man, the Doors are like super cool. And I, I, I'm telling you, I think there are people that if they were, let's say, ten years older than Morrison or above, so they would be today, like in their mid 70s to, to early 80s, that probably were like, yeah, those guys were cheesy as hell. Like they were cool for like two year window, and then everybody's like, eh, okay, I get it. Like goes back to the running to backs of the 2000s. We were That's talking about. exactly right. Yeah, Jim Jim Morrison was Priest Holmes, right? <laughs> he had like a two-year window. Although I guess the way it ended for both is slightly different amongst the two, right? Yeah. Um, Eddie, what time did you say for Kevin Bowen? Two o'clock. Kevin Bowen going to join us at two o'clock. And then you've been lined up, You've been working hard over there. Are you lining up everybody for the two-minute drill? Yes, sir. Who do you have lined up? Uh, working on it, but a former colleague here in, in terms of media in Indianapolis, Taylor Tannenbaum, will join okay. us from the ACC nice. Network. Preview Talk a little, a little Louisville-Florida State. Yeah, okay. big one for the Knowles coming up this week. Maybe to the Dallas area. Uh, get a little Texas Longhorns action from your buddy Mac Engel. We've okay. had him on before. I saved the number from the last time. Now, I have, I have a bit of a, a bone to pick with Mac. Should, should, at the two-minute drill, I don't have time to get into it with him. But you know that that Mac is the one. I've mentioned this before several times, probably. But Mac Engel, who I grew up with, the Fort Worth Star Telegram, um, who I owe him dinner for the rest of my life because he's the guy that when I have my heart attack, that's who I was with. So Mac drove me to the hospital. But but we're going up Benford, and I'm leaned all the way over, and I'm sweating profusely, and I'm I look like a reptilian, quite frankly. And you know I'm I'm sweating. In matter of fact, 
two people at the stoplight at 65th Street passed us and got excited because they're QAnon and they thought I was one of the reptilians. And so we got up, we took Benford up, and then I see the community hospital and I'm like, we got to go there. And he exits on 82nd Street and then now you're going south and it, tur- it becomes Shadeland. And he stopped at the light. The light turned red and Max stopped. <laughs> and I'm like, dude, we got to go. Come on. I'm dying here. Yeah, I'm, di- I'm literally dying here. Right? So Max stops. at the. He starts. He slows down at the light. I'm like, no, no, no. We're, we're going, right? And he's like, I, I don't know what to do. It's a red light. Like a red light. Safety, only, Jake. Safety first. Come the on. only red light I'm worried about is the one that says chest pain emergency in huge lights like an oasis in the desert before me. Run it, please. And to his credit, Mac did run the light. Um, and then after that was absolutely, absolutely stellar. So I am forever indebted to Mac Ingle, but I will always make fun of him about the red light. So my buddy Paul the Mailman, the pride of Fletcher Place. Is that the director of giddiness? Different Paul. Hmm. I know two mailmen, both named Paul. I know John the mailman. I know several mailmen. Friends with, you know, because here's the thing: you ever you got a buddy that's a mailman? Whatever you need, they always deliver. By the way, right? they, they, I mean, it rain, sleet, snow doesn't matter. If you're not going there. to acknowledge the fact that I just played some elevator music coming back from break there. Well, I was yes, yeah, so I was just getting ready to mention that from Paul oh, the mailman. Okay, right at Fletcher Place. Jake, the start of the Morrison legend was the book "No One Gets Out Alive" in the early '80s. My high school classmates at Cecina, by the way. We're obsessed with him in 1982. That's probably about right. So 10 years after he dies, you know, everybody's like, I'm not going to say any names, but I do think that, and I mean this respectfully, I don't mean this flippantly really at all. It's the reality that when someone passes in, like in their prime, then as time goes on, there is an embellishment as to the greatness of their craft. And yeah, I like the Doors music. I do. But I think people that think like, I mean, Jim Morrison, if he was alive today, who knows what where he would be. But I, I just, again, all of a sudden he became like this kind of a legend. That's a good way of saying it from Paul the Mailman. Who, by the way, is also Paul the photographer. Fabulous photographer, Paul Hurley, for what it's worth. Um, Can he be our director of photography? I don't think we have that position. We don't have a photographer, do we? No. Who would want to photograph us, though? That's the problem. Well, we need headshots, eventually. Oh, I have a headshot. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. Did you not... Were you not here on that day? It was probably when I was doing market research. <laughs> well, here's the thing. They didn't bring the wide-angle lens, so they couldn't do a headshot of you that day. Ah. You and your nine nine and three-quarter baseball hat. <laughs> See, I thought you were going to talk about so my I, insulation. So did I. I also there. thought that's where he was no, going. No, you're the... Gonna talk about Eddie, insulation Eddie I have never brought up anything about you that, that you did not open crack open the door when i asked you once your baseball hat size because i'm a nice guy i'm a i'm a i think i was gonna buy you a cute fella hat and i said well what size hat do you wear and you said nine and three quarters and i'm like what are you herman munster (laughs) yep a lot of air up here i mean honestly what size hat do you wear um because then you corrected yourself right mm -hmm. honestly i can't remember i think seven and three eighths Okay, that's like fairly average. It's a mm-hmm. little on the high side, but that's fairly average. I think seven and three eighths is but the actual size. Am I correct though in saying that you erroneously had said like yeah. nine and three quarters? And I'm yeah. like, wait, yeah. what? Yeah. You know, Herman Munster tried out once for the uh, major leagues. Just so you know, you guys have no idea what I'm talking about. I realize. No. Um, back to last night. I, I want to go back actually to the Pacers conversation. And we didn't even talk about the fact that before the game, the news came out that Herb Simon sold 15% minority share of the Pacers to 
an in, well, not an Indiana based, but a DePaul graduate businessman who now owns 20%. And I know there were a lot of people that, that wondered about that. I, I mean, the statement from the Simons, of course, saying we are as dedicated to the state of Indiana as we were in 1960. I believe that's true. I mean, I have no reason to believe anything other than that. As a matter of fact, I think without question, the Simons are committed to keeping the Pacers in Indianapolis. And I have said on this show before, the one thing that would be of concern to me would be, because, and I don't think in any way, shape, or form, zero, zero reason to believe that this is the thought process from the Pacers brass in any way about the possibility of a sale of the Pacers because of the complications that could come with an estate tax in the bequeath of the property of the franchise from one generation to the next. And do I believe that that the Simons are a smart business group that would have already had wheels in motion to alleviate as much of that financial tax responsibility as possible? Of course. And quite frankly, I think this very well could be part of it. Because... If the valuation of the team is an estimated $3.4 to $3.5 billion, and if an estate tax would be 40% the valuation of the franchise, and those valuations are always inflated, but and I don't know how you tangibly find out exactly what the value of the franchise is, but at that point, you're looking at a tax responsibility of somewhere around $1.4 billion. You start to sell off minority shares of the franchise, the valuation of the team, you are now bequeathing a smaller percentage of that $3.5 billion, thus limiting the amount of tax burden that comes with whoever it is that inherits the estate property of the franchise itself, especially if it's a family member that is living in California, where then you have state taxes that come into play as well that don't exist in Indiana. So I, I would assume that that's all that is. I don't think it's an area of concern at all. Um, Mavs went for like 3.5 earlier this week when Mark Cuban is, which that's a very confusing situation. We don't have time to get into it in terms of what he's but still going to do. that was in totality, though. Correct. Right. But what the value of the franchise. What's that? What word did you just say? Totality? No. Bequeathing? Bequeath. Okay. <laughs> the value of the franchise is $2.9 billion per Mind Forbes. out of the gutter, Eddie. $2.9 million per Forbes. Wasn't there. I just hadn't 2. heard that 9, one before. $2.9 billion per, per Forbes. Again, overpays happen all the time, but that's 27th out of 30 what? teams. 2.9 for which the franchise? Pacers, I'm sorry. Okay. I want to clarify that. The evaluation per Forbes, 2.9, 27th out of 30 NBA teams where they rank. Okay, so if they were at 2.9, then even at that, you're looking at essentially $1.2 billion. But you take that 2.9, you take off the 20% of it, so two, let's say $3 billion to make it simple. So you, you sell off $600 million of it. Now you've got a 2.4 level of the valuation in bequeath. 40% of that would be right at a billion. You've lost me. But bequeath is the term. No, not the, not the term. No, you've lost me with all the numbers. Sorry. And I flunked algebra and geometry until I finally got the world's greatest. I barely passed finite. So, yeah. uh, statistics, that part sucked mm. too. Got to hand it to uh, Kurt Signetti, the new football coach at Indiana, who I feel bad because it, there was a video of him getting off the plane in Bloomington and the band was there to play the fight song when he got off the plane, but it sounded like there were like three people playing. It's like two guys with a trombone and one guy with a trumpet. 
And it's like, wait, where, where's where's everybody else? Maybe it was a special rendition. The, it was the An exclusive. Yeah, it was. It was like a limited edition, right? Yeah. But this is beautiful. Did you see what he said today? Apparently, in his first interview with the Big Ten Network, and I'm paraphrasing a little bit, right? Yeah, I did see it. I need to, I need to see the clip to be I able to have a totally full reaction agree. on this, but I, I do, did see the quote. We talked to Dave Rebson from the Big Ten Network yesterday. Dave Rebson, apparently uh, one of those who's talking to, I would assume Rebson's there. Kurt Signetti on Big Ten Network live from Lucas Oil Stadium. Quote, I figured that I should make this trip up here since we'll be playing in the game. Excuse me. I figured that I should make this trip up here since we'll be playing in this game next year. End quote. How about that, man? Coming out big. Indiana to the Big Ten title game next year. Again, I need to see the clips. I need to see the roster. (laughs) Right? I'm not going to fully overreact to this. But I will just ask this. Like, I need to see the clip. Because how was he asked? Or was it just opening statement? And if it was an opening statement, which I don't think it was based on the timeline, and shout out to Zion Brown. He does some work both for the IU Sports Media Group as well as for the Indy Star. But... Based on the timeline, I don't think this was the first thing he said. So was he asked, like, hey, coach, what do you feel about next year? And if that's the answer, then okay, that's coach speak, whatever, it's fine. If it was just said blindly without a real prod to say it, why? Hey, Louisville, they just did it with Jeff Brom. True. Yeah. You got to totally revamp the roster. They did in the ACC, though. That doesn't, I'm sorry, it doesn't count. Indiana quarterback DJ Uyungle next year, right? I mean, is that what they're going to have to do, right? They're going to, although I think he's bringing the quarterback from James Madison with him, right? Most of his staff, I know. He's bringing both coordinators. But the reality is in the transfer portal today, and and this is why, I mean, we can kind of chuckle at it, and and I think it is probably mostly coach. Sure, I think it's tongue in cheek or coach speak. I like, sure, does he think that? Absolutely. Every coach in America thinks they're going to the conference championship game. Just. Now this is a clip that I'm going to have to look back on with a bookmark in a year. The way that do I think that Indiana is going to play in the Big Ten title game? No. Do I think Indiana is going to next year be a, a team that is on their way to winning three of their next 27 Big Ten games? Also, no. For any team, be it Indiana, be it Kansas, Oregon State, Louisville, the rate in which you can turn over a roster, Colorado. It can happen far quicker in today's sport. I mean, look at Colorado. Colorado this year, what was the big conversation when Colorado for that like 48 hours that they were the IT program? All anybody talked about was how they had, what, 42 new scholarship players on the roster. And remember, I, I'm, I'm bringing with me guys, and they're bringing their Louis Vuitton bags and pack your bags from Deion Sanders. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry, Coach Prime, in in turning over the roster, but it can easily be done in turning over rosters because of the portal and NIL. Now, Travis Hunter and Shador Sanders wind up at Colorado. Bo Nix ends up at Oregon as a transfer. Michael Penix Jr. is Washington as a transfer. Florida State Keon Coleman transfer. Jaden Daniels, LSU quarterback transfer. Like you can find names, but again, all those programs I listed either captured cachet with a great hire to turn around a program in terms of hype, Colorado, or 
are thought to be powerhouses in college football to some different extent. Here's the only issue that I have with that quote. I don't, I don't even, I'm not going to hold the Big Ten title game comment against him. But if that's the fire that's there, my expectation is now, okay, I use going bowling next year. And is that is that fair? Is, is one year to go from where they're at to a bowl game, maybe a bowl win, is that fair in Indiana? I mean, Jimmy, I, I know this year there was like a shortage of bowl-eligible teams. Indiana almost went bowling this year. Correct. And it was a year that was worthy of firing their coach. Which is why it doesn't feel like a big ask. It's not a huge tweak to get bowl eligible, right? You know, he, here's here's what I want to say about the, all of this. Somebody points this out, and it's it's so true. I've already trademarked this, by the way. For the first time in my life, I've I've actually gotten a trademark. That's cool. Mm-hmm. It is, isn't it? Yeah. So when I'm, I'm about serious, to, when I'm about to say this, I, you need to do a little TM with the circle around it because it's right. trademarked. Don't even try it. Don't even bother. T-shirts, bumper stickers, don't try it. Eddie, do me a favor. In the show notes, I can't remember what the key is, but put the little TM by whatever this is going to be in the show notes so it's their official branding, please. Years ago, yep, the state of Texas, okay, Lone Star State. I've, I've always wondered, by the way, how are the stars at night big and bright in the Lone Star State? Ponder that one for a while, if you will. That's a, that's a 2 a.m. Jake Queryism, if I've ever heard one. That's exactly correct. And and listen, I don't even smoke the cheap. But the state of Texas years ago, the governor of Texas is like, we need to come up with something to to let people know that littering is not going to be tolerated. Yeah, you put out the little sign, fifty dollar fine for littering. Okay. And some guy, literally, you know, and this is how it always works. Some like intern in the state marketing department in Austin says, why don't we just come up with a slogan? What slogan do you want to come up with? How about we just put up signs everywhere that says, don't mess with Texas. Bingo. It's off and running. Don't mess with Texas, right? Virginia. Virginia years ago. We need a state slogan. Something that we can put on t-shirts, hats, signs. I don't even know how it came to be, but somebody like in the marketing office goes, what about Virginia is for lovers? Star is born. Virginia is for lovers. You go into Virginia, they got hats. T- I got a t-shirt, Virginia is for lovers, right? Real popular in like the 70s in particular. So I've come up with a state slogan. I've trademarked it, right? Trademarked it. Give me give me like a company off the top of your head, Jimmy. Just a big company in the United States. Do they just have to them. be U.S. based or just like a... Anywhere, yeah. Just to name a Walmart. company. Walmart. Walmart's headquartered in Arkansas, right? I believe so. Uh, I think actually Walmart... Didn't they just have a big fire down on the southwest side where like tires burnt for six months at a Walmart distribution plant? Very well could be. So let's say that Walmart decides that they're tired of Arkansas. They don't want to be in Arkansas anymore. The the, the Walton family's like, you know what? We're going to head out. So they put out a campaign. We're looking for a new state for our corporate headquarters. Why not Indiana? That, Why not Indiana? That's the slogan? That's it? Why not? Indi- it applies to everything. Yeah. Who's going to go next year and face Michigan in the Big Ten title game? Why not Indiana? You want your company to move to a headquarter with and and have the opportunity for your kids to live in a situation where the cost of living is not overly high, they have the chance to go to good schools, and they can live in an environment where people have a pride about where they live? Sure, you can look at Arkansas. Sure, you can think about California. Sure, you can be tempted by the sun in Florida. But why not Indiana? You wrote me in on the second one. Why not Indiana? Yep. So trademark that for next year's Big Ten title game. So why de- not Indiana? Are you dethroning the Crossroads of America, or 
It's in a separate category. This is a marketing campaign. Okay. Crossroads of America. And here's the other thing. This is more a visit indie type? Yeah, just why not Indiana? It applies to everything. You want to talk about where to have the Super Bowl again. Sure, you can have it in Texas where they have an ice storm because it's early February and it shuts down the whole thing and nobody can get anywhere. Yeah, sure, have it in Los Angeles where everything's spread out 40 miles apart from the fan zones to the media stuff and 70% of the people there aren't even aware of what's going on. Or you can have it in New York City, right outside it at MetLife Stadium, and guess what? There's 10,000 things going on in New York City and nobody even knows the Super Bowl's there. And it's not actually in New York. why not Indiana? Why not Indiana? Here, here. T-shirts, bumper stickers, hats coming soon to a shop near you. I need an, I approve this message at the end of it, but otherwise I'm all on board. I'm Jake Query, and I approve this message. Well done. I'm telling you, why not Indiana? But in terms of next year for Indiana or Purdue and rosters, college football in general, Jimmy, it, it can be done to quickly flip a roster and get yourself players to – in the transfer portal. And, you know, the other thing that's dangerous about the portal that a lot of people don't talk about, I don't know the exact numbers, but, you know, there have been several studies on this now that we're in a couple of years of the transfer portal. Not every player that announces their eligibility for the transfer portal ends up with a new home (coughs) or a better situation. You know, there are some guys that I've decided to enter my name in the transfer portal because I wasn't happy with the minutes I was getting at insert name of school. And then all of a sudden, you know, you got to keep in mind, there are also freshmen coming out of high school that are all getting scholarships. And, and and the opportunity, you know, the carousel only spins for so long before you get thrown off of it or you puke, right? And, and that does happen. So there is a danger in it. But this is college football while it is great because it gives the Indianas of the world or the Oregon states of the world a chance or the Kansases of the world to turn things around, it also, Jimmy, does run the risk of becoming mundane to the average fan that can't keep up with the free agency, quote-unquote, of college football. I mean, the NBA is a prime example of this. I think, personally, the NBA is a great product. And I think personally that more people watch the NBA than probably admit to watching it. But there is some truth to this. Give me three legendary NBA players. When I say legendary, I mean like from 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s. Three players off the top of your head that are legends in the NBA. Larry Bird, Magic Johnson, Michael Jordan. Okay. Amongst those three guys that you just mentioned to me, okay, Four franchises, right? Yes, because Jordan, yeah. Yes. The The Detroit Pistons had Isaiah Thomas and Bill Lambeer, and in the early years, you know, they had, oh, James Edwards and other guys, and then they, they built pieces piece by piece, John Sally and Dennis Rodman and Vinnie Johnson, and they, they had to knock on the door of the Celtics and knock on the door of the Celtics. And eventually they broke through and got past the Celtics and they reigned supreme. And the Chicago Bulls had Michael Jordan. And in the early years, you know, he had... Never lost a playoff game. What's that? Never lost a playoff game. Undefeated that Jordan. That's right. Um, in the early years, Jordan had, you know, young different players. Right, right. 
and then they built piece by piece around him, right? They go out and they get Horace Grant, and they make the trade, and they, they bring in Dennis Rodman and for the second wave. But, the, you know, they bring in John Sally that was a big player. For people not to just beat Jordan down every single game. They right. Need to, need to figure they, that out. The stars, though, they knock on the door, they knock on the door, and they eventually get past Detroit, and they reign supreme. And the New York Knicks could never get past Chicago until Jordan, of course, takes a few years off, and then the Knicks are up there, and the Pacers are trying to break through the Knicks. And, then and people loved it. They loved it because of the stars. Now, I'm not talking about the the, the, the complimentary auxiliary Lego pieces, but the, the centerpiece stars stayed with the same franchise, and people loved it. And you didn't have, and now the NBA has fallen victim to a great extent of the AAU culture of guys now are in the NBA that made their name not by the high school or college they played for, but through the summer circuits they played for where they play five or six games in a day, and when they lose in a tournament, they get picked up by a team from a different region and they move on, and the stars all align to try to, in the course of one summer, a guy plays for two or three different teams, bettering his position to try to win a championship of some sort. And fans have gotten turned off by that in the NBA because they are seeing their superstars not trying to continue to break through, break through, break through, and then reign supreme for a few years till somebody knocks them off the mountaintop. But rather, they are seeing players that are combining forces and making realities, conversations that took place over a Little Caesars pizza inside a gym in Jonesboro, Arkansas during a three-day festival, right? And so that turns fans off. And what you now have in college football is the potential. Not It's not there yet, but you have the potential of fans. In college football, I think, is you could make the argument the second most popular, passionate, followed sport in the United States behind the NFL. But you do have the potential for fans now to get the same level of apathy setting in because of the fact that you are starting to see bigger and bigger name players transferring from one school to the next and adopting that same mentality that becomes harder to follow and the loyalty doesn't seem there. Why am I investing my heart, soil, lo- my heart soul, loyalty, and money into said program when the the players that I'm watching on Saturday, as soon as the season's over, are upping, grabbing their bag, and going elsewhere. Here's my issue, though. It, it's not commonplace right now, and maybe it will be someday, and it's a real fear to have, but like you look across college football, very rarely, unless there's a unique situation, like a problem with a coach or a coach, which no one ever cares about when this happens, leaves and goes somewhere else. They, they, they're they able to do that. Buyouts have to be done, of course, or maybe you get fired, whatever the case may be, but there's no backlash there when that happens, but a player does it and everybody loses their minds. It's not always big-time players, like top players in the country, that are going and transferring. Oftentimes, it is a disgruntled star or it is a, like you mentioned, a coaching vacuum happens and they want to get out elsewhere. Uyunglele is a unique example because... This is now, what, his third transfer school, I think, in four or five Correct. seasons? He has one year of eligibility left, and he's going to spend it on his third school. But I don't view him, and I haven't since maybe like that one instance in Clemson, I haven't viewed him as a top face of the sport. He's a talented quarterback. Well, he was thought like, to be. He was. He was thought I to mean, be. I mean, he came in. He was the number he one recruit in the country. Yes, correct. He was thought to be. And then he set be. the all-time to your – I don't disagree with you, but let me – for people that are unfamiliar, sure. yeah. DJ Uyungle was – you know, Trevor Lawrence was the quarterback at Clemson, right? He had replaced Deshaun Watson. Both won national titles there. DJ Uyungale is from Southern California. He's a big-bodied, strong arm, big guy. He's the number one recruit in his class. He's the can't-miss five-star, just going to carry on the torch. 
and he goes to Clemson in his true freshman year when Trevor Lawrence was in his junior year, and every game storyline was, here's the guy that's going to take over the torch and inherit the mantle. Trevor Lawrence, in a COVID game, couldn't play against Notre Dame, so DJ Uyungle played in that game and set the all-time record for most passing yards against Notre Dame in a college football game, just shy of 500 yards. And everybody's like, here you go. He takes over as a sophomore, a true sophomore, and was very lackluster at best. And then as a junior, probably even regressed. So he transfers, says that they didn't run an offense that caters to him, goes to Oregon State, has a nice year. Oregon State had a good, solid season. They were 8-4. and four. They were ranked for the most part of the year. A solid year, and in particular, a really good year by Oregon State standards. And with one year of eligibility left now, he is going to transfer to another school and be immediately eligible to do so, which is fine. That's just, but, but my to your point, Jimmy, you've got now not one, not two, but potentially a third program that is convinced that DJ Uyungle is the guy that's going to come in there and lead them to the promised land or elevate where they are. And I just think that as you see, you're right, he, was, he is not Caleb Williams, but he is a guy that has some name recognition to him and people are like wait a minute that guy's where now yeah people that and this is the nicest way i can put it if you root for a good program if you root for a competent program this is not a concern for you if you're a well-run organization in college athletics will you occasionally lose players yeah notre dame had some players that won the transfer portal but your stars they're not leaving a lot of people point to bo nicks when he transferred well why did he transfer because he had three different head coaches in a span of like four seasons at Auburn and he wanted more stability. Like there were other reasons involved too, but big name guys that are incredibly talented that are faces of the sport. If you're a fan of good teams or at least teams that have stability, that's going to be few and far between in terms of worrying about it. I think it's becoming more common. Sure. Arch Manning is Arch Manning going to be Texas next year. I mean, the most highly coveted recruit of the last 10 years. I'm sure your buddy Mac Engel can answer that question. <laughs> we should ask him that, shouldn't we? Yeah. During Look, the two-minute drill? I mean, there's a backlog there, right? Or at least there was going into this year. So, I don't know. I can't guarantee you that he's going to be. Is Arch Manning the best quarterback on Texas' roster next year? Depends on whether or not Quinn Ewers is there, right? Obviously, he wasn't this year or else he'd be starting. That's the problem you run into, right? That's the one exception to my rule of if you're a good program, you don't have to worry about it. Yeah, you get If you're such a good program riches, that right? you have an embarrassment of riches, right. I'm sorry that the freshman star or proceed freshman star isn't going to hang around Jimmy, for two years to get his opportunity. Notre Dame's a good program, right? Sure. Okay, they had a good year this year, right? Correct. Their quarterback started where? Their quarterback, where he, Wake Forest, where he began his journey. Right. Yeah. So my point being, even the most elite of programs, they are – they're now where they are and they had the year that they had because they went out and got a quarterback out of the transfer portal but i think it feels better for teams in that boat and i get it this goes back to like rooting for good which i'm not saying don't root i'm not saying only root for good teams right i'm not saying don't root for iu football but the more commonplace of college athletics and i think where fans will be disappointed is it's far more likely a big time program like an alabama like an oregon with bo nix like a sam hartman at notre dame the big fish poaches from the little pond versus it happening the other way around hey jake arch manning the iu lock it in why not indiana right hey arch your uncle played here why not indiana wouldn't it make more sense arch manning goes to colorado isn't isn't sanders returning yeah, but wouldn't he want to go live by his uncle? Play for Coach Prime. Hit program. That's a good point. Play for Coach Prime. 
Or he could play for Coach Brom. Louisville would be a good place for Arch Manning, right? You know, Arch Manning made more this year at Texas than Anthony Richardson made with the Colts. You know that, right? It's a beautiful thing. Three million have to play. That's what a luxury. Got to hand the ball off a few times last week, and that was about it. Look, all I'm saying is, and I'm I'm just one. Maybe the masses will turn their backs against college football, but like the transfer portal and its existence has done nothing to make me like or enjoy watching college sports less in terms of this two-year span of it's real wild, wild west I'm not, I'm, What I'm saying is this, okay? It wasn't raining when Noah built the ark. Sure. Right? And I, I get that the COVID year changes things a little bit, and we're as we talked about yesterday, we're kind of on the tail end of that. But, Jimmy, I do think, is it a large majority? No. But I do think if we did a survey – there are more people than you think that the transfer portal of college football is starting to develop in them. Maybe not already a bad taste, but a little bit of like when you touch your tongue to a battery and you're like, whoa, wait a minute. Like, it's there. Where is this going? I think there is some hesitation amongst people or a fear amongst people that this is going to be something that, while it's exciting when your school lands a guy, it's disheartening when your school loses a guy. And all of a sudden now, what we've seen, you know, I think there are those that that feel it in college basketball. And it's more noticeable in basketball, obviously, because it's only, you know, uh, one transfer is 10% of your roster. I mean, I get it. But, you know, I I thought the other day when when we were talking to, and I can't remember who we were talking to, it might have been Aaron Torres, when he was talking about Hunter Dickinson at Kansas. And he's like, look, Hunter Dickinson can go to Kansas and win them a national championship, but does that automatically put him in the in the list of the Mario Chalmers, Danny Manning, Wilt Chamberlain levels of Kansas legends? No. Uh, they're probably seeing it as, yeah, he was a nice piece that got us over the top. It would depend what the moment is, right? No one remembers Mario Chalmers if not for Mario's miracle, right? Like that, you need to have an iconic moment. But they if do he in has Kansas. One. No, no, no. But I mean, they don't they don't do it if that moment doesn't happen. It's not just because he was there for four years; it's because he stepped up well, on the national stage. Yeah, but I'm saying, but I mean, there are guys. Trust me, in the state of Kansas, Mark Randall and Kevin Pritchard are still legendary sure, names in sure. Kansas because they were part of I'm a four year guy that. that won a national championship. I'm not trying to downplay the four year aspect of it. I'm just saying the idea that Hunter Dickinson couldn't go down in that same category if he has 30 and 15, including a game winner and a Final Four game, like it. It matters I think it what comes you do. The, I think it comes with the caveat, though, now. It's just a different feeling. Yeah, I would people. agree. I would agree with that. It's just a different feeling for people. But I do think that, and again, like if you're a diehard fan of Michigan, you're like, hey, I invested all this time in Michigan, and now our best player's gone. Eventually, it starts to, for people, I think that it, it becomes an area that, you know, just... I get it. It's frustrating, it, right? It it, it 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 compromises what people see as a sanctity of a sport that they have a passion about. Well, unfortunately, all that happened was the curtain was revealed. The sanctity has been gone well, for pretty much my entire life. Of course. You're right about that. Um, we can do the two-minute drill next? Like yes, to. sir. All right. So who do we got lined up, Eddie? We got Taylor Tannenbaum, Austin Meek. Uh, he covers Michigan for the athletic. So we're doing college football heavy, right? Yeah. So you're going to hand me the list. We're going to line them up. We're going to do it next, right? Yep. All right, we'll do it next. We'll fly around, talk to those that are in play for the college football playoff. The two-minute drill is next.
It's a Friday in Indianapolis here, Quarry and Company, 93.5, 107.5. The fan, yes, it's a little bit overcast, and so too, a little bit cloudy, the college football playoff championship, but we will know, of course, come Monday, who is going to be playing for college football's biggest title. Let's find out what's going on with some of the teams heading into their conference championships, who thinks they might be in, who thinks they still may have work left to do. Let's go ahead. Jimmy, if you could, please, please put your tray in the upright position and make sure that your seat is upright as well because we're about to go around the globe on a two-minute drill. Spanning the globe. It's the two-minute drill. We'll land first in the Lone Star State. Forward Star Telegram, Mac Engel, Mac Texas, taking on Oklahoma State Big 12 Championship. Big question is, is there anything for Texas to worry about with Oklahoma State? Hell yes. Oklahoma State has won six of the last eight in this series. Cowboys are 2-0 against Texas when Texas is coached by Steve Sarkeesian. And Oklahoma State is a crazy uncle who might show up at Christmas sober. And if he's sober, they can win this game. Mac, if Texas takes care of business but chaos reigns, Alabama beats Georgia and the committee picks Alabama over Texas despite the head-to-head advantage, what's the reaction in Texas? Do you remember January 6, 2021? That will be the reaction because Texas is the only team to have defeated Alabama this year. They did it in Tuscaloosa. And if head-to-head doesn't count, then why are we even playing the games? Mac Arch Manning, a lot of talk and interest about him here for the obvious reasons in Indianapolis. Didn't get a lot of playing time this year as a freshman. Is he one and done in Austin, or does he come back next year? It's a great question because Quinn Ewers, the starting quarterback right now, has said he will come back. And the original plan was he was not going to come back. He was going to use his three years of eligibility as a college player and then go pro. Feels like he needs more time, which means Arch Manning would be the backup next season. The whole plan was that Arch would be playing next season. So that will be the great question going into Austin because right now there are three legit starting quarterbacks on that team. One of them is going to leave and maybe two. But I think, I think Arch is going to stay and play in 2025. Mac Engel, Fort Worth Star-Telegram. Appreciate it. Anytime. John Chuckery, 92-9, the game in Atlanta. Okay, John, Georgia has been obviously the king dog in college football. Question is, is this must win for the Bulldogs, or do they still get in the playoffs if they don't win the SEC championship? I think the only team uh, that's a lock for the playoffs right now is Michigan. Um, but I do think even if Georgia loses – and their only losses to Alabama, they will find a way in the playoffs. If Alabama is able to win, what are the chances in your mind they actually get that ticket punched and leapfrog some teams, or do they fully need chaos to reign? Well, you know, listen, it's always hard to deny an SEC champion, right? I mean, I don't care, and especially when you have the cachet that Alabama has. So I think Alabama would find a way in. But I will tell you, if Florida State wins, and that's the real wild card, there's no way they're going to leave an undefeated Power 5 champion out of the playoffs. Last question, John. Crazy as it sounds, Georgia, because they have won so many games convincingly, are they battle-tested enough to be able to dig down if this comes down to a final possession game with Alabama? They have been challenged over the last couple of years, but they are the best program. They are the best team Um, They have one of the better quarterbacks uh, in the country. They are ready to roll. And, by the way, their coaching staff is outstanding. So there will be no issues as far as that goes. John Chuckery, 92.9 The Game in Atlanta. Appreciate it. Thanks, buddy. 
Scott Docterman writes for The Athletic in Iowa City, Iowa. Okay, Big Ten Championship, Scott, between the Hawkeyes and Michigan. First question simply is going to be, can Iowa score enough points to hang? Probably not. It, it really comes down to Iowa being able to withhold Michigan from scoring and keeping itself in the game. I don't see Iowa being able to win any kind of a shootout, and a, and a shootout for Iowa is anything north of about 17 points. So it's going to have to be keep a very low scoring, good defense, special teams, field position, and give themselves a chance to win in the fourth quarter, and it's going to be defense first. Scott, is there a sense of really enjoy this amongst the Iowa fan base, given the fact that, in my mind, they're probably not getting back here anytime soon with the expansion from the Pac-12, or am I overreacting to that? Probably a little overreaction. Simply look at USC and UCLA and their seasons, and everybody thought they would be fighting for the New Year's Six, and instead they're fighting for the dumpster. So I, I really think that this is... Um, a situation where Iowa fans are very excited to be here. Uh, it's, the challenges are going to come from more within with maybe potentially more Michigan-Ohio State rematches or Penn State getting in there once in a while and then, of course, one of the West Coast teams. But overall, I think people are excited. However, uh, they also realize that this is a monumental task, uh, one much more difficult than the previous trips to Indianapolis. So we'll speak to their strengths real quick, Scott, talking about Iowa. Do they have the defense to corral Michigan the level they're going to have to? The only way they can do that is if they can keep them off the field a little bit on offense, and that's move the ball, get a couple first downs just on every single possession, and keep the defense off the field. And yes, they have the potential to be in the game, but probably not to win a four-quarter fist fight. Scott Docterman, The Athletic in Iowa. We thank you. Thanks. Austin Meek, The Athletic in Ann Arbor, Michigan, talking about the Wolverines. Austin, Big Ten Championship taking on Iowa. Jim Harbaugh back. Does it change in any way, shape, or form the game day approach or the way the Wolverines go about what seems to be, on paper, a lopsided game? Well, I think everybody at Michigan feels a sense of relief with Jim Harbaugh being back on the sideline. It just feels like everything's back in place again. It certainly didn't seem like Michigan missed him a lot in that game against Ohio State. Sharon Moore stepped in as the acting head coach and pushed all the right buttons in that game for Michigan to get a a huge win that has kept them in position to make the playoffs and pursue a national championship. But I, I I think you'll see everybody around the Michigan program just feel a little bit more comfortable, a little more like everything's in order with Jim Harbaugh back on the sideline. Is it must win or was the Ohio State victory enough to solidify Michigan in the playoff? My personal feeling is that Michigan probably gets in even if they lose to Iowa, but I don't think they want to find out. Because losing to Iowa would not be uh, would not be the way any team wants to go into the college football playoff. Uh, and if Michigan somehow finds a way to lose this game to a team that really really can't score, uh, that would be a pretty a pretty uh, a pretty shocking outcome, and uh, definitely not the way that Michigan would want to uh, finish its season going into the playoff. Austin, I'm taking you down a path of degeneracy here. Is Michigan's defense good enough to keep Iowa out of the end zone? Their team total, Iowa's team total, is six and a half when the week started. Did Michigan complete that and only hold them to field goals? (laughs) Is Michigan's defense good enough? Is Iowa's offense bad enough? (laughs) I I think probably both, yeah. I mean, uh, I I picked Iowa with nine points in my prediction today, and I was kind of like, I don't know how they get to nine. Uh, They might need a couple safeties in there somehow, but... Uh, yeah, I, I mean, I will really be surprised if Iowa scores in double digits in this game because Michigan's defense has been has been good all season, um, and Iowa just you know has not been able to has not been able to score has not been able to sustain drives, and that's a, that's a pretty bad combination. Austin Meek, the Athletic in Ann Arbor, covering Michigan. Enjoy the city while you're here at the Big Ten Championship. All right, thanks, guys. Appreciate it. 
Taylor Tannenbaum, ACC Network, Florida State and Louisville. Big question is this, Taylor, and that is Florida State backup quarterback, Louisville. We know that, obviously, Jeff Brom can draw up crazy plays. Do the Cardinals have enough to wreak havoc on Florida State? They absolutely do. The Cardinals, they've proven this season what they can do with transfer quarterbacks. A senior leader, Jack Plummer, five-year guy in college football. They have running back a stable. It's not just Jawar Jordan anymore. Isaac Garendo has really emerged as a one-two punch there in the backfield. And they've got a defense to complement it. They have 30 sacks on the season. They will get after the quarterback. The thing for Louisville, though, is turnovers, you guys. They have an incredible margin when they're winning, a plus-eight turnover margin, minus five in their two losses this season. So that will be the difference for Louisville, not turning the ball over to a stingy Florida State team that does not give up the pigskin at all, nearly at all this season. Taylor, do you trust the committee that it's win and get in for Florida State, or do they need to overcompensate and win this thing nicely? I trust the committee. I do trust the committee in the history of the BCS and the college football playoff that is 25 years. No undefeated team has ever been left out of the national championship or in the college football playoff conversation, a final four that does not include an Auburn team back in 2004. There were three undefeated teams. So nearly obviously one had to be left out, but if history repeats itself, Florida state will be in the object is to win your games. The object is to win a conference championship. If Florida state does that, even with a backup quarterback, which in my opinion proves this is a total team and not just about one member, they should be in no question. Now, of course, it's the last year of four teams. We head to 12 next year. If they change the rules, it'll be unprecedented. And Florida State criminal fans, if they're undefeated, will have something to be upset about. So that takes my last question, Taylor, and that is the quarterback situation for Florida State. Are they reliant too much on the quarterback, or do they have enough balance to offset where now they don't have their starter that led them for the vast majority of the season? It would be ideal to have Jordan Travis out there with his years of experience. Obviously, he commands his offense very well, but they can do it. They proved it last week with Tate Rodemaker at quarterback down there in the swamp against their biggest rival in Florida. It will take a total team effort. Number one, got to get off to a faster start. You can't dig yourself a 12-0 hole against the Louisville Cardinals who can score at will with explosive plays. The other side to this is the defense. Did their job last week, six sacks. The running game, Trey Benson had three touchdowns on the ground. They're going to have to complement Tate. He has playmakers all around him at the wide receiver position. You mentioned at the beginning, Jeff Brown, how he can call plays. Mike Norvell is just as good. Taylor Tannenbaum, ACC Network, by way of WTHR in Indianapolis. Always appreciate it. Thank you, guys. Again, thanks to Taylor Tannenbaum. And that is the two-minute drill. Jimmy, what we didn't talk about amongst that tour around, a nice job, Eddie, lining all of those up and being able to punch those through um, as we went along there because it gets a little dizzying. I realize Oregon and Washington tonight, 8 o'clock in Las Vegas. That is the Pac-12 championship. And, you know, I listen – this one to me is curious because let's let's go both sides of it here. If if Washington, for example, is to win, then Washington's in. I mean, they're unbeaten, they're Correct. unblemished, and they will have beaten Oregon twice. The, would you agree Washington's in with a win, right? Yes. Yeah, it's a lock. Now, if Oregon is to beat Washington, that would mean that Oregon and Washington split. How do you split the hairs over which one goes, I guess it would be that Oregon won the Pac-12. They're the conference winner. But is that enough to get Oregon in with a loss? It all depends where all the rest of the chips fall, right? If Washington 
If every other conference champion takes care of business and Washington is the only one that doesn't, that would mean that you move Florida State up to three, Georgia and Michigan are one and two, Oregon gets in. They won their conference championship game. The only fight you're having for any other team, it's not Ohio State, it would be Texas if they win their conference championship game. Then you're evaluating those two programs and making your decision. But for me, if I'm looking at what the committee has ranking-wise right now, if it's 12-1 and Oregon and undefeated Georgia's there, undefeated Michigan's there, undefeated Florida State's there, you bump Oregon up, you move Washington out, and you go about your day. Here, here's what I think – you know who I think is going to end up in it? Give it to me. Ohio State? Correct. Georgia beats Alabama. Georgia's in, right? Correct. Texas beats Oklahoma State. Texas is in, right? I need to, you need to play out the scenario okay. for it. Just Texas winning alone does not... Michigan beats Iowa. Okay, so there's two teams I'm they're in, yes. Louisville beats Florida State. Florida State's out. And Oregon beats Washington. Then what you have is if Oregon beats Washington, then it comes down to do you take Oregon with two teams in the big uh, the Pac-12 each with a loss, and the Pac-12 has been shut out before. I think if Oregon beats Washington, Ohio State because then you look at it and you say Oregon and Washington each have one loss, but they cancel each other out. Ohio State only has one loss, and it was on the road with the ball on final possession with a chance to beat Michigan, who's in. I think Ohio State gets in. So give me your Georgia, Michigan, the four teams Georgia, in Michigan, Ohio scenario? State. Who's the last? Texas. Okay. Oregon would get in over Texas for me because Oregon is beating a team that's third in the playoff committee's most recent rankings. I don't care if Texas there wins is, by 30. There is truth to this. In that scenario, what hurts Texas, ironically enough, is that scenario that I just laid out for you has Georgia beating Alabama, which thus demerits Texas's best win a little bit more. Right. So I agree with you there. But but here's the thing. By the way, if Texas, if Alabama beats Georgia, and this is a take by a couple of different people, I'm not unique in this. If Texas wins and Alabama beats Georgia, head to head should matter. Alabama sitting at home as an SEC champion. That's not going to happen, but that's what should happen. Otherwise, what are we doing the regular season for? I I am a firm believer in this. I believe logic shouldn't Alabama be in over Georgia. Well, I I haven't given you my final four in that scenario. I'm talking about would be out. Yeah, I I guess you guess you're not going to both out in that scenario. Yeah, I'm a believer. Head head has to matter. Sorry, I'm a believer in this. Precedent backs me up here. Mm -hmm. Human nature backs me up here. Psychology backs me up here. The eye test and brand does matter. They can say all they want, it doesn't. I've said a thousand times with the NCAA tournament. The NCAA tournament, when it comes down to it, if they've got to choose between 19 and 11 Kentucky or 25 and 4 Boise State, they're taking 19 and 11 Kentucky every time because they know what moves the needle. I am convinced. You can also make an argument there, too, with quad wins, but that's a whole other story. Oregon is a sexy brand, okay? I get it. But Ohio State is a juggernaut. Ohio State has in the past, the precedent shows, been given benefit of the doubt and gotten in when they did not win the conference to go to the conference championship and got in over teams that did. And Ohio State, coming into this year, they went and they won at Notre Dame. Ohio State is a brand going into it that was a thought to be 
not a foregone conclusion to be in the playoff, but certainly a front runner for it. And they are arguably the biggest brand historically in college football not of those that we're talking about right here, historically. And 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 what moves the needle? Even more so than the Nike money in Oregon or at Washington. I truly believe if or if it comes down to that scenario I laid out and Oregon and Washington have split with one another, that Ohio State gets benefited out and gets in. They're sitting right they didn't put Ohio State after they lost, they didn't put them down at nine or eight. They didn't put them down there dancing with Alabama. They put them at six. They put them right there on the outside looking in. The door there is light underneath the door and all it has to do is crack a little bit and Ohio State slither, slithers their way in. That's and why they would slither because they're snakes. That, exactly. That's why expansion's a good thing, folks. Correct. This is all a moot point next year. Hell yeah. Since I'm taking the Ricola, Eddie decided to go with this. And this not it, this is the best, isn't it? It's wonderful. Where's your yodeling? Come on now. Because you said you would yodel. That's right. I love breaking it out. Do you hear how clear my you know what I do? Do you know what I do fabulously? And and I would do it now, except for that I don't want to There's just one thing? Well, I mean it is hard to pinpoint. Uh, I should be a soccer announcer because I can do the goal. I, I can yeah. literally a minute long. I can carry the note of the goal chant. You know, sure. like, yes. goal. I, I can go literally. If somebody got in their car right now, and, and and right when I started the goal, and they were pulling out of our parking garage on Illinois right here, and after they avoid the the nine, you notice when you pull out of the garage, there's immediately a cop car right there for construction. You got to slam on the brakes, and you got the left lane to get over. Yes. This is just south of Market Street, and then by the time you avoid the nine potholes um, and the two people that are wanting you to buy them lunch or whatever, you, you keep going north. Even with all of that, I could hold the goal note for somebody in their car, and, and obviously <laughs> they, you know, be hopefully we're hoping at this point that they've locked it in on. 93.51075 and thrown away the knob but or their HD radio or their that's right but we can't have them change it but they you I could get them at least at least I believe you at least to like the Riviera Club at 56 in Illinois just with one goal yep with one consecutive note I'm telling you I don't doubt you. It's it's a skill that I have. Now, it's a little challenging right now based on the fact that I'm wacky on the Ricola. Do you understand that I'm kind of like timid to the fact that I realize you might do it and I'm like trying to get us back to a point where that's not how the hour Well, ends. I, I know. Listen, turn. I'm looking at the clock and I know what time we got to get out of here because we got Kevin Bowen coming up to talk about the Colts and Titans at the top of the hour. And the last thing you need is for me to be sitting here going, go the whole time i mean i'm not gonna do that right, right? i could but i but, could but you didn't speaks, hear a waiver there it speaks volumes to the Speaking of volumes i can do it even higher if it, you want me it to. speaks volumes to the educate and entertain aspect of this show where there's a tension in the room of is jake going to do this for the last two minutes of the hour or is he just gonna get us through so it? I, I don't know that that's educational or entertaining is the problem right fearful is the word i think fearful is probably like tension <laughs> yeah t- there's a tension-filled nature to it that's probably true you got any big plans for the weekend Go to Lambeau. Going to go see the Chiefs right. at uh, Lambeau Driving Field. Up tomorrow, right? Leaving tomorrow morning. Here's the real key. Oh, wait. Can I get in front of this, mm-hmm. please? I'm not on jury duty on Monday. We were driving back on Monday, but gotcha. I'm not in another case where I'm having to just want to get out in front of that right now. Was he guilty? Yeah. What What did happen? How long did you deliberate? Again, I, I explained this. Uh, they saw the Chiefs rings. It was a Monday night game for the Chiefs, and it was a Monday night session, and they thought, hey, you can't trust your judgment. So they asked me pretty early on to that process and yet you didn't feel the need to let your work know that you were not wow. selected well here's what happened i tried to tell hr but 
there's nowhere it's to true. go. We with have that, no HR so, yeah. department that probably helps. Um, here is the key if you're driving to Green Bay, Jimmy. I'm not going to tell you anything you don't know. Okay. What time are you leaving? The goal is 9 a.m. Not terrible. Not not a bad plan because you're going on a Saturday, right? Correct. Chicago's because, a nightmare. Yep. Yeah. The, the whole key. Now, here's here's a fun game to play. for the. Do you ever do driving games with the kids in the car? Sometimes. Yeah, there's no play, kids in the car this you know, time. Play, sure. Do you play like cows and cemeteries? Do you ever do that one? I Spy was big when I was a kid. I, I Spy is a big thinks. one. License plates. Sure, the license sure, plate yep, game. Yep, yep. The cows and cemeteries is one person on, on one side of the... So you either take cow or cemetery, sure. right? And then you get... Like if you're driving and I'm in the passenger seat, then... Each time you pass somewhere where there are cows, you get to count the cows, right? Okay. And to get to, and then I, I do the same on my side of the street, right? Yeah. But if you pass a cemetery, all your cows die, and you go back to zero. And it's the first one to like 100 or whatever wins, right? A lot of honesty and trust involved in that game. Here's a fun game. Now, this used to be a fun game to play when you went around Chicago. Unfortunately, due to AI, this no longer is applicable. But one of the fun games to play is when you go up, if you have to pay the tolls, then you go up and you play guess the name of the toll booth operator because they have the little nameplate and it's never like John or, or you know Sally. My sixty-one-year-old brother Bob is going to be thrilled to be able to uh, go and it's a uh, fabulous game. Play these cards, fabulous games. game. And I actually role. one time, uh, Nick Yeoman. There were a bunch of people in the car. We come back from IndyCar race in Milwaukee, and I, I nailed it one time. And it was <laughs> trust me, it was mayhem. We pulled up and this woman's like, "Why are these guys going crazy?" Because I nailed the name on the plate. It was Juanita, and I'm like, "I'm going to guess it's Juanita," and it was Juanita. And total, but anyway, fun game to play as you're going around 294. Count the number of Brian Urlacher hair replacement billboards. <laughs> you that's you get that, and then your wife is your wife going with you? No, Haley's not going. Okay, who's going with you? Who's uh, Al, Rich, and Bob? Okay, so so each one of you, one gets that, and then the others get the firework billboards. Okay. And you see which one accumulates the higher total by the time you get up towards, like, Wisconsin. And trust me, it'll be like 45 to 40. Kevin Bowen's next. Blue Friday here on Query and Company. Jake has made a tragic mistake here. Very rarely does it happen, but he's made one here because he's given me the ability to open up our next guest, and I'm so glad that he did. The fan zone, Kevin Bowen. He's a host on Query, or excuse me, he's a host on the Wake Up Call. Well, KB now we Andy. see why. That's why the tragic error was there, but it's going to get worse. KB, Tiger is minus three in the second round today, and he's even. How do you feel about it? Give me the rapid reaction, please. Yeah, I've gone back and forth on three majors coming up in <laughs> 2024, just toggling back and forth. Jake might have him at four major wins, so I, I might be a little bit low. <laughs> on that but the gate looks great which is very important the swing speed looks beautiful a little shaky with the putter here on the last couple of holes but christmas has come early to kevin bowen let's just say that isn't he playing in like some pro-am in the bahamas or something like that <laughs> what, what, what's he playing um, it, in right now yeah it is a smaller field event uh, i don't know that the location particularly matters he's beating <laughs> several major champions if you look at the leaderboard right now and it's a very, very respectable effort uh, out of uh, Eldrick. So I got, I got a buddy, <laughs> my buddy Dave Scott from North Central, year below me. He won some tournament, some pro am in New York or something a year ago. So he got to go down to that deal, and he's playing in it, and he's shooting, sending me video constantly of Tiger Woods, uh, borderline restraining order level stuff from Dave. But he's all, he's all <laughs> giddy with you guys. I, you, I can just get you guys like in a group text if you want. And you guys can all salivate together. That'd be cool. Are you going to be in it or no? 
No. Uh, oh, okay. I was going to say, yeah, go ahead, Dave. 317-441-3968, please. <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> I will, I'll incorporate it in, and I'll have him send all the shirtless videos of Tiger Woods. So it's becoming mm-hmm, awkward. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, you know, sh- shirtless with Micah Shrewsbury, shirtless, shirtless with Tiger Woods, you've certainly seen that before. I, I'll tell you what, that – of the times we had, Kevin, and we had a lot of fun in the morning with, with me, you, and Mark, but the time that you came in with no shirt on, passing out donuts, although Sam Fritz was in that day. That was the last time I think Sam Fritz sat in with us. Go figure. Uh, and you were shirtless because you were excited about Michael Shrewsbury. Speaking of that, and I have not looked, so I apologize, uh, how have things gone so far for the Notre Dame men's basketball team? Uh, it is a rebuild, uh, to say the least. It is a rebuild. They lost to uh, Western Carolina at one point. Um, this season uh they did beat oklahoma state which i think they're god awful actually this year but i was happy to see they beat a power five team and then the other night they lost to south carolina that was undefeated south carolina to be fair um but yeah it is a they espn will flash up the graphic every game they lost 99 percent of their minutes scoring rebounds and i think only 98 percent of their assists so uh, they really moved the basketball very well. But they've gotten, before we get into the Colts, they've gotten pretty good play, have they not, talking about Notre Dame from Mr. Basketball, right? Yeah, he actually broke LaFondo Ellis' record on opening night. I, I thought Chris Thomas might have had the record for most points uh, for a freshman in his debut. Yeah, Burton had like 29. So, uh, yeah, he's everything I got a point guard. And, I mean, to be fair, he, he's had some inconsistent shooting nights, to say the least, but um, yeah, he's about all they got from a point guard creation standpoint. Kevin, in terms of the Colts, we will flip to that. You know, the, the stage is set for them nicely to finish here and put themselves to maintain in wild card position because their schedule is such that they're going to get the chance, you know, when you when you got the Raiders, you got the Bengals, you got the Steelers, which you know now is going to be a Saturday game at 4.30 on the 16th. You got the Texans. You know, they have a chance to obviously land blows against the teams that theoretically are going to be hanging around with them towards the end of the year for that wild card. But one game at a time, so we'll begin with Tennessee. We'll start with just the health standpoint. No practice on Wednesday. They did walkthroughs. Where do things stand right now for Indianapolis from a health standpoint? Yeah, uh, pretty healthy, I would say. Juju Brents will miss game number five. It's actually six straight weeks if you incorporate the bye. So that's obviously a bummer uh, when you talk about the short term. It's certainly a bummer when you talk about the long term and trying to get him. Reps, and unfortunately, he's had such an injury-riddled season. Uh, And then obviously, Jonathan Taylor is out for this game. Uh, But that's it. Ryan Kelly looks like he'll make his return. Uh, Drew Ogletree, who I kind of want to see a little bit more of. You know, tight end group has been... Very inconsistent, and no one's really taking a stranglehold to top that death chart at all. Uh, I'd kind of like to see Ogletree string together about a month or so of games and see what he could show. Uh, And Tennessee, they are actually pretty healthy as well. I I believe their injury report, I I don't think they had uh, anyone, no one of note really miss a practice. I think Will Levis is a little bit banged up, but they should be in pretty good health uh, entering Sunday. So. Yeah, Colts uh, all in all. Uh, Brent, Jonathan Taylor, those are the only two guys that James Steichen ruled out about an hour ago. Kev, is this the game that we'll look back on if the Colts falter and Tennessee takes care of business of, man, I wish Grover Stewart could have been there? Yeah, it's a great point, Jimmy. Um, I, I Honestly, I, I go back to even that first game that Grover, mentioned, that, that Grover missed. Um, 
you know, that was the Cleveland game. And if you remember on the, I think it was the third play of the game, Jerome Ford right at the gut, like on a third and two, ripped off like a 65-yard touchdown. And then at the end of the game, amidst all the chaos with the officiating, you know, it still was a fourth and goal. And and they ran it, you know, up the middle and Kareem Hunt got in the end zone. So I think I go back to that opener, um, or I guess the Grover Stewart suspension opener, and think back to that game because if you look at the standings, you know, Cleveland is right ahead of you right now. Had you won that game, you would be a spot ahead of Cleveland and would have the tiebreaker over them as well. So um, certainly this is one that, you know, when you look at the Colts' run defense, it's incredible. I mean, Grover Stewart, I I, don't, I think Jake asked me maybe last week, I mean, he's done, uh, in a way, getting busted for, you know, whatever he got busted for. It's actually probably worked out pretty well for his uh, market value and free agency because, boy, does he mean a lot to the Colts. And, uh, yeah, that's a big difference from the first matchup. You know, you absolutely stuffed Derrick Henry in that first game. Uh, three yards per carry, I think it was for for Henry and Grover. Of course, played in that game, so I do think that's a big, big factor. And honestly, probably you know, part of the reason why I think Tennessee will equal one out here on Sunday. Game one between these two, between the Colts and the Titans, Kevin. We saw, you know, obviously Anthony Richardson was in that game, then Gardner Minshew, but a lot of Zach Moss that game. Twenty three carries, one hundred sixty five. Does Indianapolis? Do the Colts change? game plans going into this or do they kind of go under the theory and the philosophy of hey it was only a seven point win but a win's a win if it ain't broke don't fix it do we see similar schematic design of what we saw from game one yeah I think you have to and again a lot of that is personnel based I mean Anthony Richardson started that game you know when Zach Moss ripped off the big touchdown run that was with Richardson in the lineup um you know obviously if you look back on that play Tennessee had a couple of defenders very occupied with what Anthony Richardson might have done had he kept it on that third and short and obviously he did not and so you know Gardner Minshew doesn't just command the same sort of sort of attention on the field um and then as we brought up you know Grover Stewart I think you'd be foolish to think that you know the same sort of rushing game plan that you had you could implement again and expect you know whatever Taven Bryan and um, you know, Aaron Johnson and some of these other other defensive tackles to man that. Um, and then lastly, I'd probably say just from a secondary standpoint, you know, that was still – I, I want to say that was actually a game that Juju Brents played. And remember, uh, DeAndre Hopkins had a huge game that Yeah, that, he had 140 uh, yards. Afternoon. Yeah, and Hopkins has been relatively quiet since Will Levis has become the quarterback. So – I think it's you know good news for the Colts, I guess. But you know we saw you know, on Sunday, you know, Mike Evans, you would think would be priority number one, and you know he was you know running loose, uh, you know wide open a couple of critical times in that game. So um, you know obviously you know Tennessee is going to do what they do, the Colts are going to do what they do, but it's two different starting quarterbacks, it's some key personnel losses. So I, I don't think it'll be the exact same you know for either team really from a uh, schematic standpoint. Kevin Bowen of the Wake Up Call with KB and Andy taking some time with us here on The Fan. KB, with Jonathan Taylor's absence, and this feels like a really weird question to ask because I don't think we would have said it to start the year, but we definitely could say it with his return. Where does the passing game, if at all, take a step back when it's Zach Moss in there instead of Jonathan Taylor? Hmm. Um... I mean, I'm probably nitpicking a little bit here, probably a little bit too. I, I, I guess to answer it, I don't really know significantly. Obviously, Taylor's more of a home run hitter. So I, I guess if you want to go off that, you know, maybe it keeps 
a safety or two a little bit, I don't know, closer to line of scrimmage. Um, and the answer could be it not. doesn't. Like, if you feel like it's not impacted by it, I just feel yeah, like that I, the pass catching's been there for Taylor this season at times in ways that it, it was in spurts, right, a year ago. Yeah, and I'll be honest, Jimmy, I, I feel like they, they could and should use Taylor more in the passing game. Um, I don't believe he had a catch last week or even a target. And to me, he's just a dynamic guy in space that, you know, he's hard to tackle. I, I would think you would want to utilize him in that role. Um, I think the passing game is a passing game right now, and that is it's got to be quick rhythm. You know, it's got to be the one-read stuff. I mean, if you look at the Michael Pittman, um, you know, catches last week, it's not like he was, you know, his depth down the field was very long. It was just kind of methodical eight, ten-yard passes, um, you know, time in and time out, and that's how he kind of, you know, added up to whatever he had. And I don't know if he was over 100, but he was certainly very close to that. Um, so I just don't see this. I mean, maybe you can dial up a deep shot to Alec Pierce, um, but still, I, I think this passing offense, for the most part, you kind of know what you're getting with that. Now, Tennessee, again, we talk about personnel. You know, Kevin Byard, one of their more veteran defensive players, he was traded a few weeks ago. He played in that first matchup, so you know, do you feel the need to maybe test somewhat of the new safety back there? Um, maybe that's something that you do. But I, I don't know if it's an overwhelming difference with Taylor or without Taylor uh, with Moss in there with that passing game. Kevin Kevin Bowen is our guest, by the way. You hear him every morning, of course, with the wake-up call with Kevin and Andy on this radio station from 7 to 10 a.m. Um, how has – let's go back to Kevin Camp, okay, when, you know, late August and, and into the regular season. How has Shane Steichen changed, if at all? I mean, I think we forget because he does – I had mentioned earlier this week, he looks and feels the part. You know, he just seems to be very in control of how he wants to go about things. He doesn't seem to be overwhelmed by moments. You're around it probably closer than I, obviously, by going there and doing the pressers and, and things like that. Has he changed at all in terms of his approach, his – uh, his learning, et cetera, over the course of the season. You know, when you said go back to training camp, I thought you were going to bring up that day I picked up the animal dung. Yeah. Remember I, that? Yeah, you thought it – so we get out there. It's like 6.45 in the morning, 6.50, whatever. We're on at 7. And, and and you say, boy, that's a really resilient clump of grass clippings. And I said, no, I'm, oh. I'm pretty sure that's like coyote dung. No, 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 that's grass clippings. And we're doing the show, and, and, and you were transfixed on it, quite frankly. You were obsessed with it. And I kept telling you, no, no, no. That's the, And then you went over, and the next thing I know um, – you're picking up poo with your bare hands, right? Yeah, well, uh, to be fair, I did get a napkin. I, I didn't go straight up there. <laughs> that matters. That, that matters. Barbaric of an individual. Um, coyotes in Hamilton County, can you imagine what the uproar would be with that just lingering at the Grand Park Sports Complex? <laughs> That's right. Yeah, I, that just a massive mistake by me. I thought my history on golf courses, we were looking at some morning grass clippings, but no, that was crusty animal dung, to say the least. <laughs> yeah. um, well, at least we know it had yeah. been there a while. Well, yeah, certainly. Certainly. You know, I, I think in a way, Shane has changed, or I, I don't know if changed, but I think we've just seen him show off the no, a, a little bit of a no-nonsense, accountable nature in a quiet way. Like, I don't think he gets in front of a mic and he preaches like accountability with his words and calls guys out publicly and this and that. But whether it is a benching of Deion Jackson, a benching of Daryl Baker Jr., and I, you know, I think some people have disagreed with this. 
whether he meant it or not, the cutting of Shaquille Leonard is an accountable move without question. I mean, that sends, and again, it might be an indirect message, but that sends a hell of a message to your locker room of like, I don't care that dude makes, you know, as much money as anybody on our team. I don't care that he's a captain. I don't care if he's on the side of Lucas Oil Stadium. If you're not playing at a level that we feel like is acceptable, we will not just bench you. We will cut you. And so um, I think those are probably some of the things we've learned about him of, I think you knew in the offseason, smart dude, direct communicator, concise communicator, um, you know, can be demanding with his words. But now in season, I think players have seen the accountability. It's one thing to, to do it to Deion Jackson. It's one thing to do it to Daryl Baker Jr. It's a whole nother, again, to do it to a guy like Shaq. So uh, that's probably the biggest thing that we've seen on display here during the season. Kevin, we've kind of kept an eye, obviously, in the area. All of us have. Kevin Bowen, our guest, on where Shaquille Leonard ends up. Um, we've talked probably, you know, ad nauseum to an extent about how just once, once the, you know, he had to, to rely on mechanics instead of just athletic instinct to get to the ball. That's where things started to go away from him. He's visited Dallas. He's visited Philadelphia. He has not been given a contract through either visit, but both are still contemplating that. Is it possible? This sounds crazy, Kevin. Is it possible we've seen the last of him? as a player? Um, I think he'll give it one more shot, but a team giving him a consistent starting role, uh, boy, I, I, I don't know if I'm holding my breath for that. Um, and you know, I, I said it, whatever it was, I guess it was last Tuesday when he got cut. Uh, or maybe it was two, 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 two years ago. I don't know. It all runs together at this point of the season, but I would just take the rest of the year off if I were him. I, 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 am a, I have this like weird feeling that he goes to Dallas or Philly, he tries to play, he get, gets out there for a couple series, it doesn't go well, and they have zero emotional ties to him whatsoever and zero financial ties to him whatsoever, or at least I should say minimal financial ties to him, and they just move on and they whatever. They, they insert somebody else or they go back to what they were doing or they give another linebacker a shot. Um, I almost think it might be good for him – emotionally, physically, to sit on a couch for the rest of the year, reset, and when these rosters expand and you get a full offseason to prove yourself and you get into kind of a time of the offseason to where, you know, teams might be a little bit more patient with you, uh, that would be smarter for him. But uh, at the same time, I understand how he's wired as a competitor. Clearly there's some interest, and, you know, he probably wants to go chase, you know, some sort of playoff success as well, which he obviously hasn't had here. But, yeah, the uh, – I, I, I found it a bit odd that, you know, I'm seeing these pictures of him in the Philadelphia airport, like, you know, like it's Peyton Manning or Reggie Wayne coming to visit their respective teams. And I'm like, I get there's the all pro part of the resume, but that resume is pretty dusty. Uh, The all pro part, I should say. Uh, The reality is there's a reason why the Colts cut him. So um, I hope that I'm dead wrong on all of that. But in speaking in reality and give my honest thoughts, that's kind of where I'm at. The Fan Zone, Kevin Bowen with us. You hear him 7 to 10 a.m. on the wake-up call with KB and Andy. Of course, Colts beat writer as well on 107.5thefan.com. KB, you highlighted this in one of your pieces earlier in the week. Hard to believe this. Colts looking for their first four-game win streak in five years if they're able to get it done against Tennessee. Looking at those last three games at Carolina, against New England, across the pond, and against Tampa Bay. That's where the three-game win streak lies. And over that stretch, 15 sacks, Seven turnovers. 
I get it. There's probably middle ground there for the competition they're playing. But when you look at just the rest of their schedule this year, is that type of defensive output sustainable? Yeah, it's a good question. I I tend to think not. But boy, if it is, then January becomes a really, really real possibility. Um, you know, I almost look at Carolina and New England and think they don't even have a pulse. Right? You know, they are the two NFL teams that just they don't have a pulse, especially offensively. Um, whereas Tampa Bay's got a little bit of one, which obviously, you know, you you produced at a pretty high rate against Baker. Um, and for what it's worth, Tennessee, their O line has really struggled this year. I think they're 30th, I believe, in sacks allowed. Will Levis has struggled in that area, so we could see another kind of high number this week, um, which would obviously do wonders for you trying to get a win. But I don't know. Maybe it's a little bit of past history, but I, I just still am a, a little bit in kind of the prove-it stage when it comes to this pass rush. But it's hard to you know argue against those numbers. And, and all the credit to Samson Ebukov. I, I don't feel like we have given him enough praise for what he did at the end of the game. Um, you know, that is a play that this team did not do last year in trying to close out wins over Philly and Washington or Houston the final week of the season. They didn't do it against Philip Walker back in, uh, you know, whatever that was, mid-October. And sure, there were, you know, some officiating that obviously impacted it, but, you know, you still let the Browns drive 60-some yards before the officiating crept into it. Uh, but, uh, you know, Mathis and Freeney, I mean, they would salivate over those opportunities. You got a seven-point lead, two minutes to go, and you're asked to go out there and close the game. And what an opportunity for your defensive line. And Ebukam not just, you know, doesn't just beat any left tackle. Tristan Wirfs, one of the best left, left tackles in football. And he beats him, you know, easily on that third down and has a huge strip sack. So, you know, maybe more than the sheer numbers, just that play, when you needed it the most to not only make the sack, to make the strip, and close out that game, um, I do feel like Samson Epicom deserves a whole lot of praise for that. Kevin, I'm sure you talked about this a lot. I wanted to, to conclude with this because it's somebody that you worked closely with in your covering of the Colts. Um, the Frank Reich situation in Carolina, I look at that with Frank Reich being let go, and I think it's interesting. Somebody pointed this out to me. The two coaches this year that did not make it the totality of the season before being released are the two guys that Chris Ballard essentially hired, right? Josh McDaniels and then Frank Reich. Uh, to coach the Colts. But in Reich's situation, I kind of don't put that on Frank Reich. I I think he was given a quarterback that was not his first choice, and that speaks more about Carolina than it does Frank Reich. Your thoughts? Yeah, I think that's probably a good way to put it. Uh, You know, David Tepper seems wild. Um, Seems like he makes Jim Irsay look tame in some situations, honestly. Frank Reich could probably write a hell of a book on working for – Jim Irsay and David Tepper, um, albeit very short with, with with Tepper. But I always, I mean, to me, C.J. Stroud just screamed Frank Wright type quarterback. You know, with how obsessed he is with accuracy, and you know, I'll never forget the Stroud quote at the combine and calling himself a ball placement specialist. And you know, I think we all saw the clips at Ohio State's pro day of how Frank Reich was reacting to C.J. Stroud and all that. So I, I was a little a little confused by that. Um, and you know, for what it's worth, it seems like David Tepper. Like, this is just how he owns. Uh, he owns the MLS franchise down there in Charlotte, and they are on in the second season of existence of the whole entire franchise. They're on their third coach, and they've made the playoffs. So it's not like they've been owing whatever, 20, and he's just firing coaches, already on your third coach in the second year of existence, and you make the playoffs. That's quite the feat. So, um, you, you know, I think you could easily say, you know, Frank Reich, 
wouldn't have worked out in Carolina, that's fine. But uh, to just all of a sudden cut ties after, you know, whatever, three months seems a bit quick on that plug. And I hope Frank can find, you know, uh, honestly, I think marrying kind of his two passions in life, and that's football and that's religion. Um, you know, I think he's a really faith-based individual, and um, I, I would think he could do something in this kind of next professional chapter of kind of marrying those two things because I, I think he said earlier this week that in all likelihood this is the final NFL-specific chapter for him. Kevin, last week, 13 targets for Michael Pittman Jr. He's been right around 12 to 13 when you look game by game this year. But Josh Downs also gets 13 targets, I believe, a near a season high for him there, if not outright a season high. When you look at those two and the rest of the Colts receivers, if they are relying on the passing game at times over this stretch, is that the mix it should be? Pittman Jr. and Downs are your top target getters and then a sprinkling along the less of the offense, or is that too much with two guys? No, I think that's probably accurate. I mean, like I was saying to you guys at the start, I, I, I'd be curious if he gave Drew Ogletree a handful of targets a game, what that looked like. Um, obviously, he's missed several weeks now, so he, he probably doesn't slide right back into that role. And I do think a healthy Taylor deserves multiple touches in the passing game as well. Um, but, yeah, I would say hovering around double digits for Pittman and Downs makes sense. And with Pierce, I know Minshew's arm is not there, but, you know, might have been Carolina. I don't know, maybe it was New England. You know, he had Pierce on a bit of a deep ball, uh, and Minshew just overthrew him. I, I still think with how defensive backs panic, and hell, we saw it last night in the Thursday night game, and with how pass interference is called, I, I think dialing up just a couple of deep shots a game to Alec Pierce, even if you are not sold on Gardner Minshew's arm, I mean, DBs just trip over themselves and they throw a flag. So I, I think that is something, especially to kind of see. We, I mean, we saw some big pass interference penalties go for the Colts against Tennessee in that first matchup, particularly on that final drive that milked the clock there in the fourth quarter. So uh, I, I still think taking a couple shots down the field to Pierce during a game makes some sense as well. Kevin, Jimmy's going to make his debut at Lambeau this weekend. Any advice for him? You've been there. Ooh, wow, Jimmy Cook. That's awesome. Uh, I love the non-corporate feel to it. Um I mean, it's just football. I hope the weather looks aw- – I, I, I hope it's awful. Oh, Isn't I want all of that. Jimmy? Yeah, it, there's snow in the forecast now. Yeah, if we're doing that. it, I That's want the whole full deal, frozen right? tundra. Yeah, yeah Sunday yeah. night under the lights. Yeah, let's go. That's all. Yeah, the Colts played there. I want to say it was like early November. Jordan Todman took the opening kick back for a touchdown, if I remember correctly. And it was a beautiful – Day and I was so part of me was kind of pissed to be honest. With you. Yeah, you want like that, snowballs that, that, flying around yes. the whole deal, right? Yeah, yeah. I want to, yeah, I want to see people shirtless and you know ten degrees. Uh, so I did not get that whatsoever. Uh, but yeah, have have a blast. I mean, the town is, uh, you know, it feels a little bit like a college town. I it's think like Terre Haute, yeah, yeah. I uh, and one of the wilder parts is and I, I don't know if Green Bay has built a hotel capable of it. Since then, I want to say that was like 2016 the Colts played up there. Uh, but, yeah, because I think next year they go back up there. Uh, the NFL teams stay in, I think it's Appleton, I believe, is the closest Correct. city that has a hotel capable of housing an NFL team. So, I mean, that, that was just kind of a little wild travel you know, element to it all. So you're saying that since our Airbnb is in Appleton that my uh, Chiefs family should try to hunt down Andy Reid and buy him a cheeseburger? Is that what you're saying? Like that's 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 on the table now with where we're staying? Yes. Well, I don't want to, you know, I don't want any stalkerish <laughs> arrests potentially happening here. Tiger Woods level uh, pictures. It wouldn't be hard to find him. 
Okay. All right. No, well, no because I'm, I'm not saying because he's big. I'm saying because the town's small. It's tiny. It's the second day in a row now. You've walked treacherous game with uh, with, with that big you. rat and then for Eddie. No, I'm telling you, it's because Appleton, there's, I mean, there's no, there's no, no, I know. There'd be like two places for him to go to get a cheeseburger. There is point. a hotel across the street now, KB. It might have been there before, but I think it's just a fan hotel because it's like right across from Lambeau. We tried to get in there. Unfortunately, it was sold out. So Appleton will do a 30 minute drive into Green Bay and call it a day. I want nothing more than you and Big Red splitting continental oh, man. Sunday morning that's together. It. That's right. Get uh, you, you getting the Frosted Flakes or uh, what you go? Oh, you went the you went the Fruit Loops. Yeah, beautiful. Okay, got it. Hey, listen, those small towns, man. I told you IndyCar one time. I knew we were in a small town for the Iowa race when I looked over at the Super Eight and Elio Castroneves was checking in next to me. And I'm like, <laughs> man, we are not in Des Moines, that's for sure. Kevin, enjoy the weekend, and we'll listen for your coverage Monday after the Colts and Titans game. All right, you guys have a great weekend as well. All right, Kevin Bowen joining us again. The wake-up call with Kevin and Andy, 7 to 10, each morning here on The Fan. We come back. Uh, kind of big words spoken in Bloomington today. We'll let you know about that. And I'm going to introduce you to, uh, I had mentioned it once before, but going a little more in-depth, guys, about a new thing we're going to be doing on the show on Fridays. Sound good? Always. I'll tell you about it next. I figured I had to make this trip up here since we'll be playing in this game next year. Heck yeah. That's the new head football coach in Indiana, Jimmy. Talking about why he came to Big Ten Live for the Big Ten title game preview show. Look, I'll say this. I know we only have a couple of them in the rotation, but I want Kurt Signetti on a voiceover of I'm part of the company. It's got nice pipes. I just I I want that I want that in the rotation. I don't know what we name him as, but uh, that's 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 my takeaway from. I'm that. Kurt Signetti, and now that I'm, in, why not Indiana? That's what he's saying to himself. Why not Indiana? Right. Yep. And I'm part of the company. Yep. Okay. I, I like that. No, I got no problem with that. Uh, by the way, this from on Twitter when we were talking about you going to Appleton, Wisconsin. At uh, D Trump for eight years is the Twitter handle. Jake Appleton is not a small town, LOL. It's 70,000 people. Is that a city? I mean, Noblesville, Indiana has 73,000 people. Is Noblesville a city? I don't know. I mean, in the the grand scheme of the NFL, how would you list Appleton, Wisconsin? Is that a a thriving metropolitan area with a skyline? The nightlife is crazy. I guess, okay, a small city, okay. Greenwood, Indiana, 65,000 people. It's the size of Lafayette. Appleton, Wisconsin is the size of Lafayette. Is that Maybe a small city is a better way of saying it, but I mean, my point being, it's not exactly a huge, expansive area. I'll put it to you this way. I was in Green Bay, went to a baseball game in Appleton, Wisconsin, and ran into, now granted he was the manager for the Wisconsin Timber Timbler Rattlers at the time, but in the town ran into Gary Thurman who from North Central. And I'm like, oh my gosh, like what are the odds I'd run into another North Central? And he's like, well, I, I manage the Appleton baseball team here. It's not a huge, not a huge town. You know, okay. a lot of people, this gets glossed over too much and it's really unfortunate because it, it speaks a testament to the fine folks of Appleton, but Pacers are in Miami right now. And a lot of people talk about it like South Beach nightlife. It's undefeated. It's a bit of a drive, sure, but when people get to Milwaukee, they're not staying in the city. First stop is to Appleton. Oh, Believe it or Apple, not, it's, no, no it, question. Appleton Nightlife's undefeated. No question about that. Hey, um, 
Today is Friday, and I wanted to introduce a new segment that, that I'm hoping that we'll start doing here in a couple of weeks, okay? And, and I kind of need audience participation on this, okay? And that's going to be the challenge here of audience, not necessarily totally audience participation, but there are a couple of things that I just decided. I had mentioned this once before, but I'm going to mention it again. And I want folks to either send me tweets, including, Sean, if you'd like, at Jake Query, that's J-A-K-E-Q-U-E-R-Y, or you could also always email me, okay, which the email gets a little bit tough. It's Jake Query, and I believe it's radio underscore one dash dash radio dash one dot com, right? Jake Query at radio dash one dot com. You could, I think most people by now probably have my cell phone number, but in all honesty, for this segment, I would love if folks would text me their suggestions, their recommendations. Uh, they're nominees, if you will. And my cell phone number is 317-523-9288. That's 317-523-9288. I'll repeat it at the end here for you. Um, but I just decided that, you know, there's so much so much of what we do. Now, we have fun on this show, obviously. But I do think that people, especially by Friday, just get kind of you know, inundated with with negativity, quite frankly. Not not necessarily sports-wise, but just in the world in general. There's so much just crap going on, right? So I decided that we're going to do a thing each Friday called Good for the Heart Friday. And I wanted to do this twofold. Number one, to shed light on feel-good stories taking place in central Indiana. Last night I was at Firefly, which is formerly the Children's Bureau, um, over off of Dr. Martin Luther King, and I got to see some of the kids that have been touched by the great work they do in helping out and facilitating for kids that are in foster situations or violent situations or situations where they've been removed from the home and they need a safe place where they can go. And I saw the great work that Firefly does. And, you know, there are little victories in every story. And with the IHSAA now, with, you know, you have obviously unified sports where you have children that and, and young athletes that are special Olympians or that want to play on the basketball or the, the, the flag football teams or whatever else, and they're able to partner with the varsity athletes. And that brings out it for both. It's a symbiotic relationship for both. And unified sports is wonderful in, in giving kids from all backgrounds an opportunity. I just saw a story the other day on Good Morning America about a guy named Jason Smith in Kentucky who was a middle school principal and he had a girl that had come to his office because she'd been suspended for throwing yogurt at the cafeteria. And he said, well, what would you do? Would you ever throw yogurt in a restaurant? And she said, I don't know. I've never been to a restaurant. And so he he did a little more background checking on her and found out that she was like at her fourth foster home since coming to the middle school in the sixth grade, had never had a permanent residence. And he went home and talked to his wife. And so they adopted her. She's now 20 years old. She's a sophomore at the University of Kentucky, work, master, you know, majoring in social work. Those kinds of feel-good, triumphant stories. But as they relate to sports, just in terms of kids overcoming odds, kids working hard, kids that deserve congratulations or some sort of a pat on the back that otherwise go unnoticed. I would love to know those stories. And then each Friday, just tell one of those stories for Good for the Heart Friday. And then at the end of the segment, I will let all of you know, since I know a lot of men my age group listen to the program, women as well, um, about little tips that you can do in areas like a heart scan, for example, to make sure that you are heart healthy. Because I was 48 years old and a healthy guy, seemingly, 
that was running 30 miles a week on the treadmill when I have my heart attack. And I know the little steps that can be taken to make sure that other people don't, you don't want to go through what I went through. I don't want you to have to go through that. So just a little tip as well to make sure that people are heart healthy and that they are being good to their heart as well. But I'd love to know those stories, Jimmy, and we'll feature them. You know, you obviously being around some of the schools at Ron Colley, yeah. doing some of their things. There are always stories of triumphant victories, little victories, right, that aren't necessarily the ones that get the headlines, but we're going to get them the headlines on this program. Yeah, it's more than just a team winning a state championship, right, or just on-the-court success. It's a player that maybe has been on the bench or a student manager that's getting an opportunity. And in general, like the opportunity to highlight this is a part of this segment. I'm really looking forward to it, and I can't wait to have that be a new staple of Fridays here on Korean Company. So it is something that we will do, uh, hopefully be able to do it heavily, as a matter of fact, throughout the entire uh, 2024 year. Is it going to be a feel-good season for Indiana now with a new head coach? Yes. I think they're going to, as long as the expectations are where they're supposed to be, which is that I think that it can get turned around to the point that they are middle of the Big Ten. You have that bright spot season in a reoccurring fashion, not every year, but in a spot where, hey, wow, they finished 15th. That's crazy. They were top 25 team then the year. That's awesome. While being in bowl conversation, I think if you're looking at IU football and a realistic expectation for Kurt Signetti and the the clear, I don't want to say shift, but the clear importance and emphasis on NIL with terms of what he's going to be armed with and how they're going to be able to win out of the gate in the transfer portal and and build a good program in a timeline that is reasonable. Yes, I think that brighter days are ahead for IU to the point that for me, the bar is small. Win a bowl game. That, that, that's it. I mean, maybe maybe some people say that's a big uh, bar to set, but I win a bowl game. Doesn't have to be next year, but in this era, end that drought, win a bowl game. My thought is this, and this is not meant as a disrespect to Tom Allen at all. I think Tom Allen did a lot of things really well. I think he was a great, um, quite frankly, a feel-good guy, right? He was able to find triumph and victories in people. I think that he was able to lift guys up. I think he was really good towards a lot of people that worked in the program. But I also think that at times it looked like the college game and all that comes with it was a little bit fast and above everything that he could corral and from a football standpoint. And it does feel like now they have a coach that is a walks in as a natural leader that knows how to just be a CEO. I think you have to be a CEO at a big-time college level, and this is a guy that each level of the way feels like he is a CEO. And, and for that, um, I think that's good news for Indiana. Does that mean they're at the Big Ten title game next year? Well, let's not get too far ahead of ourselves. Uh, we'll come back. We'll get Jimmy's picks. We'll talk about our predictions for the weekend as well. The Jay Cook Plays of the Day. This is me, all right? I'm not a athlete. This is my way. This is how I win. Oh, it's a massive week. Conference Championship weekend has arrived. It starts tonight. Pac-12 Championship game in Las Vegas. Give me Washington. You can't really call it an upset based on the ranking system, but you can call it an upset on the spread. They're getting 9.5. I'm taking them outright, plus 270 over Oregon today in the Pac-12 title game. In Oklahoma State and Texas, they're favored by 15. We're not playing that. We're going with the under, under 55 total points between Oklahoma State and Texas. I'll give you your opportunity. Give me a second. (laughs) Louisville upsets Florida State. The Jeff Brom season, first season at Florida State, continues right and high. They take care of business over FSU. Lay the five on the Georgia Bulldogs against Bama in the SEC title game. 
Iowa will score a touchdown, over half a touchdown against Michigan on Saturday evening. In the NFL, Colts over the Titans. Zach Moss, anytime touchdown score. Texans over the Broncos. And give me Isaiah Pacheco and Rasheed Rice to score anytime touchdowns in Lambeau on Sunday. Eddie, do you have anything? That's a lot. A lot of stuff there. I understand. Comprehend. I understand. Uh, I don't like the under in that. I like the over, and here's why. Texas is playing for that last CFP spot. So what are they going to do? Run up the score in order to, to solidify any chances they have of making the college football playoff. They just have to whack Oklahoma State. Uh, so that's why I would take the over on the team total for Texas or whatever that number is at, and I'll take the over in the game because I don't think look, Oklahoma State is a slouch when it comes to their offense. But what if, what I think if the Texas over was set, it, keeping that in mind? What'd you say? What if the over was set, keeping in mind exactly what you just said? I don't care. Okay. I'm taking the over. All right. Is there anything else you have? Um, and Washington, Oregon tonight, I will hone in on the receiving top receiver for the Ducks. Troy Franklin, take him over 102.5 receiving yards and over 6.5 receptions. I think he's going to go nuclear against Washington once again. I don't like your cover, though, Jimmy. Washington has just been Oh, slipping. it's not a cover. It's an outright win. Yeah. So I'm going to like either one. For Washington. For, for Washington. Yeah, I don't Oregon, like that. Oregon yeah. is going to win that game. Yeah. I want Washington to win. I love the city of Seattle. I love the colors of Washington. I like Michael Penix. I love their stadium. Seattle's probably my second favorite. I used to say my favorite city in the country. New York is probably my favorite, but Seattle is uh, – I love everything about Seattle. And I would love to see Washington win that game, but I think Oregon is playing at a higher level right now. A lot of this comes down to not only Michael Penix Jr. refining his passing attack, which has been, I will admit – gone the last four or five weeks hasn't mattered they've still won games a lot of it is based on their ability to run the football they were very effective against Oregon that was a shootout game look even if my bet doesn't hit all I'm hoping for in this game tonight is it to live up to the hype of that back and forth massive swings in the fourth quarter type of game we saw in Seattle last month by the way one of the good news uh one of our I guess feel good friday good news features of today would be the fact that uh jmb is on remote he is going to be of course for blue friday out at the west side pub on girls school road that's good news for him because if he was in here uh he might actually like go catatonic by the fact that they're testing the lights for the big 10 concert stage down on the circle <laughs> and all of a sudden now it's like frankie goes to hollywood has taken over the studio here and as soon as it gets a little bit darker out here it's going to be Complete it's gonna nightmare. be a rave in here. Oh, it's crazy! Like Eddie's walking around with lollipops. It's like, what? What is going on? I here? saw Eddie I'm with just, some glow sticks. Actually, I know. I'm just glad I'm not epileptic because <laughs> totally. Well, I am. Thanks. Oof. Are you really? I had juvenile epilepsy. Yes. No, for sure. I said I was like, you look at that because it's you're right in the line of vision of that thing. Oh yeah, yeah. And that would absolutely. I mean, they're they're doing strobe light galores in there. Uh, okay, Colts Titans coming up Tennessee Sunday. Jimmy, your thoughts? Colts twenty four. Titan 17. The defense delivers yet another welcome to the NFL game to Will Levis. I think the turnovers and the sacks continue for the Colts. Derrick Henry has a good day, but not a good enough day to rock the boat. Zach Moss does fine in the stead of Jonathan Taylor. Colts win it by seven. Okay. I'm going to go with Tennessee. They've played better at home. I just personally, every time I feel like this season, the Colts every time we, as in the media, have been talking about them in the positive manner. They have laid an egg, and I think this is an opportunity for them to lay an egg. I think Derrick Henry and the Titans offense will be able to control the line of scrimmage and control the time of possession, so it's going to limit the amount of times Gardner Minshew has the ball, and 
If you're asking me who do I trust in a limited capacity, I even though Levis isn't better than Minshew, I just don't know if Minshew can make enough plays. So I will take the Titans hmm. 17 to 15. Does it kind of feel like you're right, the, the fact that Tennessee, we kind of wrote them off, right? And does it feel like maybe Tennessee's got still a little bit left to prove and Levis came out you know, off to a great start in his career and then has kind of calmed down a little bit. But Derrick Henry is still there, and Derrick Henry is such that if they get a lead, I could see Tennessee just trying to salt it away with Derrick Henry. But the Colts had big numbers against Tennessee the first time around. Obviously, Zach Moss is going to have to be big again. Gardner Minshew is going to have to play well, which he did the first time around, and they got to limit DeAndre Hopkins. But, um, Eddie, I like actually the gumption of you saying that you think Tennessee can do it, but I'm going to take the Colts as well, and I say that 24-16, they get the win. But we will talk about it, of course, all on Monday. John's up next, Westside Pub. Go out and have a beer and listen to him. Thanks for listening. We'll be back Monday at noon.